It's Game Face episode 134 after a couple weeks off. Matt, in the entire time we've launched Sifted, the gaming industry has never been this barren and dry. Very quiet. It's insane. Crickets even. It really is. There was a huge opportunity here for publishers to jump in and put out a really good game right now and do really well with it, but just not the case. Nope, we got the crew too instead. Yep, that's pretty much all we've got for the last couple weeks. I do want to apologize for not doing a show the last couple weeks. One was Matt was gone, and then last week there was just nothing to talk about. I've been watching some of the other podcasts, and uh, pretty shocking that they've done shows. You know, they've just kind of cobbled stuff mm -hmm. together. Fair amount of discussion of snacks. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. There's and, been a lot of non sequitur stuff yeah. in those podcasts, which we may actually end up having to do eventually here on Game Face as well. We have to start talking about uh, some films, uh, television, and stuff like that to kind of get through this dry spell. Mm -hmm. Because if you look ahead, there's not a whole lot of relief on the way. No, not until, uh, not until like, near the end of August when yeah. you get that one-two punch of Shenmue 1 and 2 and Yakuza <laughs> Kiwami 2, which, ooh, boy. Yeah. yeah, we'll be working for it for the next uh, month or so. Um, also, I should say right off the top of the show, uh, next week, let me do my math. Now, next week, I think it'll be okay. The following week, we may have to do the show a little earlier because I'm actually going to Las Vegas mm. for the weekend. I'm taking my annual vacation, my four-day or three-day weekend to Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. So for that week, we may have to bump up the show to like a Wednesday or a Thursday, something like that. We'll work it out. But uh, we are here tonight, and we are ready to give you guys a great show. I guess the benefit of waiting a couple of weeks to do a show is that some topics have built up. Uh, most of the stuff we're talking about tonight is not old stuff, but some of it was kind of like right on the fringe of a week ago. So uh, let's just get right into it. We're going to talk first about... Star Wars, again, something we talk about a lot on the show because there's a lot to talk about. We're both huge mm -hmm. Star Wars fans. Uh, there's nothing to play. So. Yeah, and there's nothing to play. So Jade Raymond this week came out of her hibernation up in Montreal at EA's uh, new studio Motive up there and uh, went to Europe to accept an award. And a lot of the European press was there and they caught her and did some quick interviews. And she had some very interesting things to say. Uh, the first thing that really struck me about it was that she was talking more about... So Moda's working on two games. Mm. It's working on a Star Wars game, and it's working on a brand new IP. And what struck me from pretty much all the interviews that she did was she spoke a lot more about the new IP at Motive than the Star Wars game. Mm. Um, the Star Wars game, she didn't say a ton about. The new IP is basically going to be a games as a service. I mean, yeah. we kind of knew that already. It seems like that's... EA's mandate or edict is that all its games now need to be service games that can sustain over the long haul. She did say that she's trying to find unique ways to approach that that doesn't make it so it's not just another Destiny clone or an Anthem clone or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, but it struck me that, you know, Star Wars is this big license that EA has, and she didn't have a whole lot to say about Motive Star Wars game. I don't think that's very surprising. Really? We can't... As someone who has worked with Star Wars stuff, you can't say anything without clearing it through Lucasfilm first. Yeah. So I'm sh I doesn't surprise me at all that she would keep her mouth shut about that because she probably doesn't know what she'd get in trouble for saying. Like you don't want you know the messaging on those on the Star Wars stuff is very tightly controlled by Lucasfilm and Disney and the license holders and 
somebody speaking out of turn, uh, just you know being caught by you know something like in a situation like that, like there's no good that can come of that come out of that for Jade. So no, it doesn't surprise me she'd stay quiet because like the new IP clearly she's more involved. It's it's her thing. She's you know she's spearheading it. She knows what the messaging needs to be for that. But I mean, if I were in her position, I would absolutely stay the hell away from talking about Star Wars because you never know what Lucasfilm is gonna hate hate you for. Yeah. Basically. She did talk about Visceral's game that's now being yeah. reworked, and she said that people are gonna be surprised that there's more of the old game in the final game than people thought. Mm -hmm. There was like a three terabytes of art or something that they had already created for the game. Yeah, you probably you probably don't throw that out really. I mean, yeah. it, it, Star Wars is Star Wars, no matter what the game's gonna play like. The environment stuff is probably still valid. Um, well, it sounds like it will have the same setting. Yeah, some of the same characters, same plot, probably. Not. Yeah, I mean, it would still be, I mean, probably be a, just, you know, games as a service, you know, band-aid slapped on and some kind of co-op-y thing going on, you know. I don't, it's probably not a total, like, crazy idea to think that what Amy Hennig was going to give us was going to be more of an Uncharted sort of thing and that this is going to be more of a Destiny kind of thing. You know, and Destiny still has a campaign, still has a story, does, still has, yeah. you know, it's still there. It's just, you know... It's under the wrapper of, hey, grind and grind and grind and give us money for you know cosmetic stuff so uh and we'll see you know i one it seems like they've at least learned some lessons uh off of battlefront 2 not that it mattered really because uh their stock is higher than it's ever been uh just once again no one cares it's the no mobile one, it's mobile though that's really driving ea's bottom well if you line. look at the breakdown i mean king is up there but ea itself is over a billion in revenue compared to 500 million on king like but even with ea it's, it's a lot a lot of it's mobile it's mobile yeah but like it's it, it's you know they're expecting battlefield and five and anthem uh for the remainder of the fiscal year to be less than 25 percent of the revenue yeah. like that stuff is not where their money's coming from yeah that's what i'm saying so like the only reason the loot box thing even made any waves with battlefront 2 is because disney picked up the phone and said hey what are you doing with our license yeah um they didn't they weren't reacting to us to the gamers they were reacting to bob Iger. oh of course <laughs> so, yeah uh it, and, and the shareholders don't care all they see is you know the, the future path of making tons and tons of money so yeah the stock's doing great ea's in a really good position i think they're uh the most uh, high i think they have the highest market cap of uh, any of the third parties except for uh activision yeah which is huge. Yeah. I mean, partly because they had Blizzard, but like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think they're doing uh, just fine. Uh, but uh, it does seem from E3 that they, uh, they heard, uh, you know, the core demographics complaints and they're going to try to avoid that. You know, like I said, I predicted they were going to do, you know, one of their bullet points for Anthem would be like, you know, no loot boxes. And sure enough, yeah. there it is. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you, I think it's fair to, to think that, you know, whatever this uh, EA, EA Vancouver thing, you know, built from the, the you know, whatever they cobbled together the out, out, of the, out of the dissected corpse of Visceral's <laughs> game uh, is probably not, it's probably going to be a fairly standard kind of Destiny sort of Star Wars-y thing, which is like, hey, that's cool. I'm like, fine with that, actually. I'll play a Destiny game where it makes the blaster sound. Would I, I have rather trigger, played Uncharted with the Star Wars skin? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, but the Hennig alternative isn't terrible. No, I mean, it's, it'll be fine. But Hennig's game could have been one of the greatest Star Wars Dude, stories the stories ever told. She's and one for of the, me personally, it could have been one of the greatest games yeah, ever. She's one of the best writers in the industry and has yeah. been for a couple of decades now. So yeah, yeah. it's disappointing we're not going to get her Star Wars story. But 
it's not going to be a total disaster, I don't think. It looks like Motive's game. You can't count on that till 2021. No, I think they're a long way out. I think they're next-gen easy. Um, I mean, it really looks like Respawn's game is going to be the next Star Wars game. Yeah, yeah. of course it is. I mean, I, I, I mean even... Probably end I, of the year next year. Yeah, I mean, even I thought that... Uh, we were going to see more than just Vince in, an audi- in the audience saying the name. But, yeah. uh, hey, I don't know. Take what you can get, right? I did run into him at the at Patrick's party, and I said, it sounds, the title makes it sound like you're making a, the Star Wars game I've wanted for like 30 years. He's like, we might be. <laughs> he said that, and he, that's all that's he was saying. Yeah, I'm basically. surprised he even he's said like, that. He's like, ah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm surprised he said anything. I haven't seen it. I'm surprised he didn't just walk away when you said that. <laughs> nah, Vince has, Vince has always been good to me. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, and then the final thing that Jade Raymond said was, obviously EA has done a ton of research into Star Wars because it has of to. And she said the thing that they've learned after spending a ton of money and time on research is that what Star Wars fans care most about is knowing more than other Star Wars fans. That makes a lot of sense. That what they were doing like research for a video game and mm. the takeaway was I want to make sure I know more than this other Star Wars fan. Yep. That's crazy. That's one of the things that it does that's kind of one of the things that bubbles up when you have a a, a property that people are fans of that is just so broad and full of like meaningless arcana and stupid lore things yeah and then this is canon but that isn't canon and this contradicted that and that's part of the old eu and that's part of the new eu but the new eu is supposed to be canon but then it was contradicted by this and that movie and the, and like just like keeping all that straight is like a full-time job yeah, exactly. if you're a fan of that stuff so yeah. yeah there is that competition level i've definitely seen that happen it gets even more pronounced when you start getting into like the fan organizations like the 501st and right yeah you know, the people that dress up as the characters and like they've got hierarchy and they've got people that you know are you know you you haven't seen you haven't seen life in action until you've seen someone having a power trip over being in charge of a stormtrooper cosplay organization that is a (laughs) that is a very unique experience that i've had um i'm wondering too if that data ties into some of the backlash against the last jedi because i just it just appeared on netflix and i just watched it again and I enjoyed it more the second time than I did when I went to see it in the theater. Do you think maybe that attitude, that perspective on Star Wars is maybe part of why some of the fans kind of rebelled against The Last Jedi? No, it's part of it, but uh, most of it is, um, it took a lot of character arcs in, in directions that are very logical extrapolations of of the original trilogy, mm-hmm. but not how people have come as a fandom to think about them. And not how the e, not the direction the EU pushed them in, and it's just like a lot of you know it's, it's you know the EU the old EU which is not canon anymore, but the old expanded universe, um, you know, really did kind of follow Luke down that he became the most powerful Grandmaster Jedi ever, and you know the first comic, that's what they the wanted him to book do yeah. where he can, you know first comic book with you know that took place after the movies like he walks out and uses the force to like deflect at at like blast your fire and like knocks it over with the force and right. like and was like oh he's bad it's like but that is not what the star wars story was it's not what luke was about and it's not certainly not what yoda was trying to teach him right so um a lot of some of it is just like toxic idiocy but a lot but some of it is also i think people were not prepared for the the, the direction ryan johnson took a lot of that in i thought it was great um and some of it, you know, some of that stuff got a little real, got a, a little, little self-introspective about what it meant to be a fan of Star Wars or be a fan of anything. And I feel like 
you know, you walk into a Star Wars movie, you're not always ready to feel that. Like yeah. you don't think the Star, you don't really think a Star Wars movie is going to make you look at yourself critically. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but Last Jedi does that a little bit, and you know, maybe some people don't want that from Star Wars, and that's a valid complaint. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I'm I'm all for filmmaking at the expense of you know nitty gritty you know fan stuff. Like, right. I I love movies more than I love Star Wars. No matter how much I love Star Wars, yeah. I'd rather see a great movie and. The Last Jedi is a great movie. Don't you think, though, that maybe some people were salty that they had spent a ton of time on learning the lore from things like you mentioned, comics and books? Yeah, but that's already And gone. then the movie just kind of made them look at themselves and say, again, introspection, watching the film, and saying, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I just wasted all this time. I used to be the Star Wars master in my circle of friends. Now a lot of the stuff I've told all them is not true or inaccurate. Well, like, most of it already wasn't. Like the you know the expanded universe in 2012 was wiped away. Like none of that matters anymore. Like you know, I don't care how much of a officially fan. it was yeah. wiped away. Oh yeah. Like once Disney acquired it, they're like, yeah, we're killing the EU and we're gonna start over and we're gonna all our new comics and books and everything are gonna be canon now. But like and they're supposedly gonna hold it together. They're not really holding the the extrapol you know the extraneous material together any more consistently than the old stuff did. Like, you know, the, the whole idea was like, oh, we're gonna have this story group and it's all gonna make sense and it's all gonna fit together. No, it doesn't. Like, it, it, yeah. you know, and it also doesn't matter because it's a movie series and if you're not reading all the novels that come out, you're still gonna understand what the movies are about. You know, you didn't need to read four prequel novels to understand what Solo was. Right. Know? And uh, so I, I would think that the morning of the expanded universe would have already happened. And some of the stuff in the expanded universe is bringing, coming back in, like Grand Animal Thrawn, uh, a fan favorite character from the old Zahn novels uh, showed up in Rebels, and you know, had, so that's a real thing. You, know, you got Darth Maul still running around with his uh, robotic legs in the CG, you know, the, the Clone War series and stuff. Like they're taking, they they've recanonized a lot of that stuff. In fact, uh, one of the episodes of Rebels a couple years ago, even uh, they went to the planet where one of the big battles of uh, Knights of the Old Republic, like in the backstory of Knights of the Old Republic, took place, and mentioned a bunch of stuff from that story. Like by name, so like you know, you, you they kind of like sort of, kind of, sort of half recanonized Kotor, uh, and like there were people thinking like, oh, maybe that means they're gonna take the the Kotor era stuff and do some movies with them later, so you know, because clearly they they you know they haven't shut Swotor down yet, right? You yeah. know, like clearly they're not like, you know, they're not they haven't been afraid, and neither has Marvel, another Disney holding, to just say these things aren't part of our brand anymore. We're just gonna shut it down, Gazillion, you know, like. Um, so I think there's there's more complexity behind the scenes than you might think in that regard. But I, if, if, for the last Jedi to be the thing that makes you realize the EU isn't relevant anymore, I, I mean you're about you're about five years out of date. They knew that at that point. point. Yeah, it's it's been gone. To bring just, it back to games, do you think some of the stuff you've just been talking about might be a part of why the games are taking so long, particularly narrative-driven games? Because um, Battlefront, I mean, Battlefront had a campaign, the second one, mm -hmm. um, but it kind of was interwoven. With Rogue One, essentially, mm -hmm. do you think that maybe some of these games that are stepping outside of the bounds of the films a little bit, maybe getting tied up with approvals from Lucas and things like that? It could have. I mean, uh, clearly, there's two problems right now. It seems with Star Wars. One is that um, they're just not getting stuff out in a timely manner, and that's. I mean, obviously, it's true of the games, but also, I mean, you know, Solo. Uh, they barely yeah. they barely made that May release date. You can see if you watch it. 
uh, the effects don't even look finished because they had to reshoot so much. They reshot, rumor has it they reshot about 70% of that movie Whoa. under Ron Howard, Whoa. Um, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so, and then they, they uh, had to push uh, episode nine back. Um, I think that was mainly because Carrie Fisher's death right. made them have to rework a bunch yeah. of stuff. So, uh, and, and they got rid of uh, Colin Trevorrow and brought in J.J. Abrams to direct instead. Um, which also, you know, he has to do his own pre-production. You right. can't just step into another director's pre-production work and take it as your own. It's, it, you know, yeah. you have your own ideas. You have to yeah. do your own work. Um, not that like he would steal Trevorrow's work, but like JJ has his own vision and he has to do it himself because that's how directing works. And so they had to push that back because the original plan was to have Solo come out in, the, in May and then you're back to Star Wars coming out in May. Because it traditionally has always come out in May. Yeah. But now they had to push episode 9 back from May next year to December next year. And you know what? I, f- I think Chris- Star Wars is a Christmas movie now. Yeah. I-, I think it's time to admit that Star Wars is a Christmas movie. That's December when I saw film. The Last Jedi. Uh, well, that's where, that's where everyone's seen the, everything since Force Awakens. Because yeah. originally Force Awakens was supposed to be May 2015. They needed more time. J.J. Uh, wanted to push it to May 2016. Disney said, no, you're going to release it in December because we need it this fiscal year. And they're the distributors, so they get to make that call. So they had it done in, in time for December. Yeah. And so they've been December movies until then. The plan is to move them forward up into, you know, make the May releases again. But Solo, Solo finally made it, but Solo barely made it. And then Solo didn't make a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, and part of that is because... You are saying before we shot, it's the first Star Wars movie to not... It's probably the first, be the first Star Wars movie to lose money. Yeah. Um, it hasn't even made $400 million. Um, which is astounding. That like, is astounding. Um, you, you expect even something that's not, you know, even something that's not like as electrifying as like an episode, a numbered episode. It's still Star Wars. It's still got some. But Han like, Solo. Pe- yeah, but that's kind of the, part of the, the problem. Most like, beloved characters. Yeah, but it's not Harrison Ford. Right. Like that's the yeah. thing people don't get, I guess, or maybe just Lucasfilm and, and some of the people making these movies don't get is like so much of Han Solo and Indiana Jones are Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. It's Harrison Ford and that like uh, that that electric charisma that man has yeah. to just take these characters who really aren't all that well drawn or very fleshed. I mean, Han Solo is a foil, not a main character. Right. He's, he's yeah. a foil to Luke Skywalker. He's you know Luke Skywalker is the 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 starry eyed boy with a destiny. Han Solo is the, the grizzled the, veteran, the grizzled rogue yeah. who like you know who murders a, a guy just to save himself the trouble of having to deal with him later, kind of right. thing. And then he grows to be this guy with a heart of gold who becomes a real you know steadfast member of the Rebel Alliance and um, who's a very forgiving group because if you notice, uh, Lando Calrissian uh, sells out the princess leader of the entire rebellion at the end of Empire and by Return of the Jedi, he's a general. Right. So, yeah. um, <laughs> the rebellion will take whoever point. they can get You know, at this point. Yeah. If, if they told They're him, scrappy, man. Well, well as uh, well, Lando says, what he uh, somebody told him about my maneuver at the Battle of Tanab and I'm like, that must have been some maneuver. <laughs> so, he's like, oh, well, you almost got uh, one, several of our highest ranking people killed uh, but then you turned it around it was cool yeah, you, yeah. You, it, it's cool you're wearing you're wearing a vest now you're, you're one of the Corellians but um Solo uh I think in part I mean part of it is because I think people aren't that interested in a prequel movie starring a character they already know what they need to know about them uh played by a guy who doesn't remotely match Harrison right. Ford yeah. in terms of screen presence yeah um like it's just not there you know it's just it's it's the like I mean even I as someone who's a big Star Wars fan my whole life like I went and I mean I went and saw it. Uh, I forgot I was going to go see it the day I forgot it was coming out that day. Yeah, then, uh, it shows the level of excitement. It shows the interest yeah. there. Yeah, and I was just kind of bored by it. And I've never been bored by a Star Wars movie, even Episode That's Two. That's the worst thing you could ever yeah. say about a Star Wars. At the end of the Kessel Run, I'm like, is there another act in this movie? Yeah. Is it really? <laughs> really? Like we're going to keep going? 
Uh, and I'd seen 2001 A Space Odyssey in 70 millimeter that morning. Yeah. And Solo felt longer. Oh, wow. Me. And 2001 has an intermission. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a long movie. Um, but I think uh, one of the other problems you ran into there that ran into with Solo, and I think they would have run into it with any Star Wars movie released there, is uh, Star Wars under the Disney era has not had really much competition. You know, they have December no, right. kind of to themselves. And now you're in the middle of the summer. You've got movie competition. Infinity War came out two weeks before or three weeks before. Uh, Deadpool 2 was still, still had some legs on it. I mean, Solo was number one, but like, it's, just, it's too crowded and, and it's not there. And I think you need to, to accept that, that Star Wars is a, is a December film now. So I think we'll move back to that. And in the same vein, you're seeing kind of this indecision as the, as the production process moves forward on these movies. They're, they're firing directors. They're replacing directors. They're changing release dates. They're changing concepts. They're going to do an Obi-Wan movie. Now they're going to do a Yoda movie. Or maybe right. the Boba Fett movie. Now maybe we're just going to do the Obi-Wan movie. Maybe we're not going to do that anymore. And like stuff like that. And so I can, I can absolutely see someone like uh, Amy Hennig and Visceral, because Visceral, you know, Visceral doesn't sit still. Visceral has, has their own ideas and have a lot of uh, things they want to do with stuff. And you can see that this week where they came, uh, the one of their, their, the Visceral guys uh, came out and talked about what they had planned for Dead Space 4. And go read that if you haven't, because like, yeah, it, it sounds pretty right awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I can totally see people like Amy Hennig and the Visceral guys um, Guys and girls uh, who want to push, kind of push the envelope, and Amy always wants to do new stuff and explore new, new areas narratively. I can see that being a very contentious thing with the Lucasfilm story department, who doesn't quite, in my opinion, doesn't still quite seem to know what they want to do with these extraneous properties. Like they seem to be pretty cool and okay with like going crazy with the episodes because look, ep you know, Last Jedi was a departure. Let's, you know, I'm, I, I loved it, but let's, I, I absolutely admit that is not the movie I expected to see when I sat down in that theater. And um, you got to wonder, and, but then like you look at something like Solo and it's just like, you know, they're played it real safe with that, you know, and, and, and some of the comic books go crazy, but then like, you know, they're not as widely, widely known. So you got to wonder, with these big video game projects with EA, how much of this narrative discussion is you know, frustration with the license holder that just says, oh, we don't know if that's really how we want to do this, and kind of, yeah. or we have other plans for this character or for this other thing. Like, I can see that being just a production nightmare. Haven't you found, though, that game players are more open, or maybe the, the right word or phrase is forgiving, of side stories? Um, it doesn't, like, it seems to me that people who play games don't necessarily need a Star Wars game that has Luke and Darth Vader no, and Princess Leia. They're much Star Wars more, games never have, really. Yeah, I mean, Very they're rarely. much more open to exploring new, oh, yeah. new planets, Look, new you've characters. You've still got people pining for Kyle Katarn, for right, God's sake, yeah. and that guy was nobody. Like, yeah, that yeah. character was nothing. That was... Yeah. That was that was Alex Trebek as a Jedi. Like, there's no... Do you think that's where they, there might be loggerheads between EA and Disney, though, is that Disney's a little more careful. It's like, well, look, you probably need to have Luke and Vader and, and blah, blah, blah in a game to make it successful. And maybe EA's looking at the history of games based mm -hmm. on Star Wars and saying... That's totally you absolutely possible. do not. Like, that's totally possible. It's okay for us to write our own story with our own characters that people don't know about in the audience is going to be receptive to it mm -hmm. still. Well, I think there's a constant tension there where like, and I, I can totally also see that with, you know, the people that are involved at EA. And, you know, there's no, I have no evidence of this or proof of it, but, uh, you know, just my, when I look at what Lucasfilm is doing, especially with the Star Wars story stuff, to me, the, you know, the, the, not the episodes, just, you know, the things like Rogue One and Solo. Yeah. And the, you know, supposedly the Obi-Wan movie is the next on the docket. But like, 
to me, those Star Wars story movies, those anthology movies, they should have nothing to do with anything. They should, yeah. they should be set in the Star Wars galaxy, but they shouldn't share characters. They shouldn't share events. They shouldn't share... Like any, like, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing all these movies about these characters we've already met. You should be going out to new places, going crazy with the settings. Go, show us new planets we've never seen. Show us new elements of this galactic society we've never heard of. Show us, you know, if you got to mention Jabba or the Empire or whatever, like cool, like you know, it's it's the it's the background setting. But like, you should be able to walk into this these movies and do and just like see something totally new, and that will get people excited. That will get people to see things in the new Star Wars stuff. Will always get people more excited than. Hey, it's the characters you know, but in a younger, earlier time. Or now they're geriatric. And it's just like getting to the point where, you know, and and that's a movie trend right now. It's kind of the prequel thing, the prequel, like, origin thing of, like, I mean, I even saw a trailer for for that with Ant-Man this week. It was for, um, oh, what was it? It was some, like, fairy tale thing. Um, And it it was just, like, the story you think you know. Is much darker than you believe. And I'm like, really? Is this American really? McGee's like, you know, filmmaking right. school? Like, yeah, what is yeah, it? Yeah. And um, but I think like the 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 this weird like fear that Lucasfilm seems to have from breaking away from like the established characters, the established brand, and just going Gonzo with it. Um, like I can see someone like Amy Hennig wanting to go gonzo with yeah. it and just getting stymied at various creative opportunities because like, no, we want to, you know, well, when does Vader show up and kill a bunch of people to make everyone cheer because yeah. Vader pulled his lightsaber out or something. Yeah. Like, I'm starting to wonder if maybe that friction, maybe why Amy yeah. Hennig isn't not, there anymore. It's not impossible. And like also, it's probably not a coincidence that the one game they have gotten out in a smooth manner is just a, a game that completely recycles everything exactly. you've already seen. It's in just like an all-star yeah. lineup. It's the greatest of, hits, yeah. like of of maps and, and it's a shooter. And it's a and shooter. Yeah. It's like it's the most baseline Star Wars game yeah. you could possibly make. Yeah. So we have. We're assuming Respawn's game next holiday season, probably. That's what they. I mean, I, th- I think uh, that's what they hinted at. Yeah. After no game this year. No. So we get respawns next year ish. I would guess respawns probably, game by the end of fiscal at the very least. Yeah. Then dice. I'm assuming next with another battlefront. Maybe. And then the year after that we get maybe viscerals. Or or... Viscerals. I mean viscerals probably further along. I would think. <laughs> That's they... not very encouraging. No, I mean, well, you're just going to have to sit back. And like, you got to wonder what's going to be happening with the movies by then. Because, yeah. like, you know, Episode Nine is at the end of 2019, so that's a pretty good boost for, for Fallen Jedi. Like, that's yeah. a, you know, you get some good synergy there. But you know they got to be thinking hard about what they're doing with these, you know, Star Wars stories between, are they, you know, are they going to take a year off? Are they going to push forward and still do the Obi-Wan thing? Are they going to change up everything? Like, nobody knows. Like, yeah. you know, like, are but they if gonna, anybody are they does know, ju- you, you assume EA, EA Yeah, knows. are you going to yeah. jump right into a new trilogy? Like, is that going to change how Disney wants to, uh, you know, approach how the games are made? Like, you know, and that's so far out. Like, and especially you're looking at things where, like, you you think about these things like the Marvel and the and the and the, the cinematic universe and Star Wars stuff, and you think there'd be like this grand plan right. for everything. Yeah. But it's, it's all written but, down. But You're all just like following the path. But all I mean, Lucas even used to say that. You know, yeah. he, I, I don't know how much true it was. But I know what the next say, twenty movies. Yeah, it's about. all it's yeah. all in here. I you remember know, it's like, that. Yeah. But like, um, J, I mean, J.J. Abrams said uh, he he made his Episode Nine story pitch the Sunday after Last Jedi came out. Wow. So while they may, maybe they have a you know, even like even Kevin Feige, the, the guy who runs Marvel, the, the producer that runs the Marvel Cinematic Universe, basically basically said like, 
you know, for a long time, you know, they announced all these these movies, but it's like we knew Infinity War was going to be Thanos getting all the Infinity Gems. And that's it. And that was about it. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like the and details are like, blocks. we'll worry about that later. Yeah, yeah. Like, this stuff is more seat of the pants than you might believe. Yeah, yeah. And that's not really how game development works. No, it's not. Like, you it's, can't do it that No, way. it's not that agile, yeah. you know? And, like, if, if uh, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how much of it is, like, strategy synergy. It's like, oh, we want to do this thing. Well, we might be shifting our strategy with the movies, so maybe we should also have to shift our strategy. With it. Well, you can't do that with the games or, or, or cancel way. them. I don't know. Yeah. So it, it's... It sure seems like that might be something to, that might have something to do with Visceral's game. Yeah, I mean, we probably never know yeah. the whole story there. And until... this is a case where we probably really will never know. No. Like, like, like stuff, that stuff usually comes off. out eventually, but like this the, probably never will. Like the best that I could maybe see happening is one day I meet someone that knows and tells me, and I can tell you, but we can't tell the other. Right. We can't tell that. It's or like, one time I get drunk with Amy Hennig somewhere. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she would even. I mean, no, even then. You don't, you don't, you don't mess with the with the Lucasfilm. Like I, it, I wouldn't recommend it for no. sure. Like it's uh, it's a bad scene. Yeah. So as two huge Star Wars fans, it's not looking too good for games for quite a while. No, I mean, well, I, I I'm kind of prepared for that. Yeah. Like I, you know, I certainly, if anyone remembers my pre three predictions for EA, I'm like I, I was saying like yeah, respawn maybe next year it will be we'll get a yeah. logo and a title this year, and I was half right. We didn't even get a logo. Um, but you know, it's like. It's been a long time uh, kind of in this current state of Star Wars gaming affairs. And the thing that I guess bugs me the most, like I'm, I'm cool with how long it takes to make these things. Like it was a rocky start. They got to get their own ideas together. It takes time, get it right. I'm cool with that. The thing I don't get is like in the meantime, couldn't you like remaster some of the, the classic stuff? Yeah. Can you give me like a Rogue Squadron collection or like, remaster the x-wing and tie fighter games or like the problem is a lot of the old star wars games aren't very good true but like that doesn't matter <laughs> like we don't want to remaster force unleashed like <laughs> well force unleashed is backwards compatible you don't need that's too, right. too recent i'm talking about the classic stuff yeah, i mean yeah. I, I would play like a remat a remake of the x-wing and tie fighter games I mean, they did. Know, you know, they're never going to do that. They should. They, I mean, they did put out like some, you know, some remastery versions on like PS4 and stuff of uh, a weird collection. I mean, it was it was the Super Star Wars from the, from the yeah. Super Nintendo, uh, Bounty Hunter, a terrible Jango Fett game from the from the I had it on the GameCube. I think it was on other things too, and um, uh, a Jedi Starfighter, which was a decent space shooter, but like really really shows its ps2 origins and uh, and then they did uh, i think episode one racer finally came out on gog um but to me it's just like it's like you've got this crazy back catalog of these some of these games are, are they may not be the greatest games of their era but a lot of them are the best star wars content of the era like star, star wars games kept that brand alive it's gonna the be 90s. that a lot of them came from different publishers well, they all came from lucas lucas owns all that does it yes lucas will never give up that kind of autonomy. But you think about the developer that may have made that game, and it's like, wait a minute, how Doesn't do you matter. just cut us out of this? That's our code. But they own it. Huh. I guarantee you, Lucas didn't never gave up rights to things. Like they will, you they will always have that strength. Maybe they would have to negotiate with Nintendo over like the if they want to do like a Rogue Squadron collection. Right. But like you That's know, what I'm thinking. I don't. I don't think uh, you really have to go get Factor Five's permission or anything. Interesting. 
So there you go. Star Wars, the horizon for Star Wars in games yeah. is, not, I, is not looking bright. Because yeah, I think under those auspices, I'm pretty sure anything, anything you did on a Star Wars game was essentially work for hire for LucasArts. Yeah. So they would, they would not really have to go. Because almost everything that I mentioned has been released on GOG. Uh, no, I'm, right. I'm just saying yeah. they should release it for consoles as well. Console players should also get a chance to play some of these classics or you know, at least scratch the Star Wars itch a little bit. You know? They need something. Or the uh, I mean, it's or, grim right now. I mean, they updated I mean, Battlefront. I don't, like, if if we get respawns game next year, and then we get another Battlefront, do I even really care about that Battlefront? No. Not but, really. But then they they even surprised me in the sense they they updated Battlefront Two, the classic Battlefront Two. Yeah. To suddenly be playable again, yeah, yeah. Was, and like William, well, you know, clearly pandemic didn't give anybody permission. Like I think. Well, I think then fans took over Battlefront Three. Yeah. And that's like coming out as like a legit game here in the next couple months under get, a different name, but. Yeah. But still, so there's one way at least the the culture, the fans yeah, are trying I've to keep some of that stuff alive. I've had enough Battlefront stuff, though. Me too. I, really... I don't need another one. Like, if I don't get another Battlefront for six or seven years, totally cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, to me, Respawn next year, maybe Battlefront the next year, that's some slim pickings, man. That's yeah. a big license to have. So I mean, unless Visceral's further output. along and they're and they they are the 2020 game. Yeah. Um, which is not impossible. No, it's not. Um, Depends on how much they scrapped and how much they kept. I feel, I feel like you've kind of pushed, pushed your luck with the Battlefront thing as much as you can for a yeah. while. Um, and you've made a lot of money off of made it. Made a ton so, of money. Give it, give it a rest. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I feel like Battlefront 2 can, can live on and, and keep being updated for a while. And clearly that's what they're doing. They have, yeah. a, they have a pretty long roadmap. Uh, I, I feel like the content is a little sparse. Up, you know, spread across that road because, like, yeah. I think the stuff they're they trying to draw in, it out because they know. Oh, yeah, but I think the <laughs> stuff they announced at E3, like everybody was thinking, oh, it'll be like August. Like they'll they'll right. put out those, and oh, now it's no, like, no, no. oh no, it's like one like one character in August, one character. It's like goes out through like December or right. something. It's like that's a long time to draw out General Grievous. What yeah. are they gonna do though? Right, I There's mean, else. they kind of have to. It's survival. So we'll see. Right now, it's not looking too good for Star Wars with video games. Let's move on. We're gonna talk next about The Witcher. Uh, so I think we all know already that there's going to be another Witcher game. Yeah. There's probably going to be a lot more Witcher games. They're hugely successful. Uh, put CD Projekt Red essentially on the map as one of the most profitable developers in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, today or this week, uh, some word trickled out that the next Witcher will not follow the same story arc as the trilogy. Not mm-hmm. that big of a shocker. They've said that before. Yeah, I like, think that's actually been mentioned before. Just for whatever reason, this week it's been a big. Yeah, people story. are talking about it for them, but it's like, I mean, I remember that when uh, when it was around the time Witcher. I think the first DLC for Witcher Three came out because it had been long enough that they could kind of talk about the ending a little yeah. bit more openly. And there's yeah, there was like the Witcher is bigger than Geralt. You know, the, the, I mean, their original plan for the Witcher One was to let you create a Witcher character, and they just ended up deciding that Geralt was too central. To the universe and just you know to, to to not use him as sort of the main character but there's tons of stuff you could do with i mean there's a huge world there there's various places i mean you you see little glimpses of it in like the places like the dlc took you to, to uh, was it toussaint yeah like the equivalent of like a, a kind of a france italy mashup sort of thing like there's a lot of way directions you could take it um and you know especially in the, in the terms of kind of what they're doing in cyberpunk where you create your own character right um like that's a totally viable way to to do another Witcher game. Uh, I would also love to see them remake the first one into something that's playable today. But let, wait, let's rewind a second. So, are you saying that you think wholeheartedly that Geralt will not be in the next Witcher game? Uh, he won't be your character. Yeah, I mean, like, he could be in the game. You think, for without a doubt, that that'll be the case? That you won't play as Geralt? Yeah. Yes. How come? 
because three is the end of Geralt's story. Yeah. Like, they've always said that. It's the end of Geralt's story. You will not play as Geralt again. Can you think of another franchise, though, that had a trilogy with one main character and then either switched to another main character or gave you the ability to create your own character for the fourth installment? Devil May Cry. Yeah. They switched to Nero in four. Now you're right. And it looks like they're sticking with it for five. Yeah. Uh, arguably Metal Gear. Because um, you, you, like, at a certain point, that series really switched over hard to Big Boss. Yeah. Um, although, to most although people, really it was the same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the clones. To most get, people yeah. would say it's the same character, but um, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Jedi Academy. Yeah. You, you played Kyle Katarn for three games, and you played your own created character for Jedi Academy. Yeah. Um, so there are some examples of yeah, it. Yeah, it happens. I mean, you, you, can, you can pass that, that buck, or that, I mean, I guess that's not really the... the that's not the phrase I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, you can pass the torch yeah. uh, in a way. What uh, existing Witcher characters do you think maybe this story should be based around? Siri? Uh, I mean, you probably could do something with Siri. Um, I think she works better as um, like a story complication in a way. Uh, She's unless... probably the most beloved character in The Witcher other than Geralt. Other than Geralt, seems like yeah. a lot of fans really well, Siri, resonate. Well, with her. Siri is from the books, and she and she and Geralt have like that kind of the father daughter relationship that um, kind of underpins the whole kind of emotional thrust of the late the late Witcher books. Um, and people were kind of waiting to see her. If you know, book fans were waiting to see her in the series, and finally she sh- shows up in three. And that's yeah. the issue with Siri is that she's sort of a demigod. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to build your. Your game around, I it's think, like having um, super, like Superman. It's yeah. like, how do you make a compelling game? With I would, Superman I think it's character? more likely that in another Witcher game, uh, we would uh, maybe jump ahead a, a significant number of years from the end of The Witcher Three, and you just create another Witcher, or they could go further back because. Um, Sort of the, the backstory of the Witcher thing. Play is like Geralt is like a preteen. Geralt, Geralt. Okay. Sheesh. Um, they say it 4,000 times in the game. They, they drill the pronunciation of these characters into your freaking head. Um, uh, the, the backstory of the Witcher thing is basically like, you know, in the conjunction of the spheres, monsters were let onto Earth, and humans had kind of the difficulty with that. And at some point, they basically invented uh, this, this, this trial of the grasses thing where you were able to do these horrible things to these young boys that caused them to mutate and a bunch of them died but some of them survived and became what was known as witchers mm-hmm. and by the time of the games the time of Geralt uh, the um, like basically the monster thing was sort of under control and other people knew how to deal with them it was not you know it was not like uh, this kind of crazy uh, plague of monsters anymore. It was just sort of an occasion. People got used to it. People got used to the idea of like, there's a griffin in the woods, don't go in the woods. You know, like if there was a bear there, you know? Right. And um, it became part of everyday life. And so witchers became less and less necessary. And they were started, they started to be seen as sort of freaks and monsters. And, you know, witcher, I mean, by the time of Witcher 3, um, Vesemir, who's the, the, you know, your, your father figure slash trainer guy, He's something like 200 years old or something, because witchers live a long time. And he talks about how they haven't done the Trial of the Grasses in like a century or so. Like, like they basically, like they, they don't, you know, because even the witchers don't like it because it's a horrible experience. So they don't want to do it to any more young children. Uh, Siri did not go through it because they didn't want to do that to her. Yeah. Um, in the end, it doesn't matter because she has elder blood and can teleport to other dimensions. So, who, you know, who cares whether, <laughs> who cares whether she can yeah. like see in the dark at right. that point, you know? But, um, 
so witchers are kind of past their age. If you, I could see them jumping back a few hundred years to like, um, you know, in a, a, a period immediately after the conjunction of the spheres, which unleashed all the monsters on, and the elves and everything on the world, and sort of in the heyday of witchers, where like, you know, just to kind of change that up and sort of, so that, because well, that means there's more witchers running around and it means you have more freedom to kind of create your own character and sort of fit into the world in that way. And it's, in, it's a very different existence from, you know, because Geralt's one of the last of the witches, which is a nice premise. You know, it's a great premise. It's like he's one of the last Jedi, basically. Because um, he is pretty much a Jedi crossed with uh, a Ghostbuster crossed with uh, Batman. Yeah. When you think about it. Yeah. Um, which is like a really good three things yeah, to Yeah, that's... A, if you're going to be made of three things, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty and, much um, the ideal three. So I, would, I could see them making a game where you jump back several hundred years and kind of play a, a, a self-created Witcher in a, uh, in a more... Um, a darker, earlier time, you know, but uh, or you jump ahead and really explore kind of the the real fall of magic, or maybe even the rise of technology in that universe would be interesting. Oh yeah, like an industrial revolution yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Absolutely. And what place witchers have in that? One thing that's a little different about The Witcher is that it kind of took the third installment for him to really kind of become a gaming celebrity, for lack of a better phrase. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like you look at Uncharted. First Uncharted, Drake, people loved him. He was an icon right out of the gate. It took a long burn before Geralt mm -hmm. became the hero that he is. And now he's in Soul Calibur. Mm -hmm. and So it does seem a little odd to me that you spent all that time building him up and finally kind of get him where you want, and then, all, then you're just going to drop him. There's nothing, nowhere else to go with him. Yeah. The story's over. I mean, like, that story's over. You can always just start another. Yeah, but why use him? Because you spent all this time making him a, that's an how, icon. That's how you end up with shitty stories. Like, like that's the great thing about CD Projekt is like, they're like, that was Geralt's story. Because they haven't followed over. the books for a while, right? They've actually like went past the books. Oh, the first, the first game starts after the books. Right, Cause, yeah. Because in the end of the books, um, which you, you know if you've played any of the Witcher games, like basically he, gets, he ends up in a, in a riot, basically an anti-non-human riot, and gets killed. And Yennefer gets killed defending him, and Ciri saves them and teleports them out and leaves them on this island, like this paradise-like yeah. island, to live out the rest of their lives. And then they get captured by the Wild Hunt. And um, the first scene in The Witcher One, the Witcher first Witcher game, is him running in kind of this fevered daze from something, and you can't tell, and he's injured, and he falls over. And what that is is he got away from the Wild Hunt and and like, ha ha lost his memory and was injured, and the other witchers find him and take him back to Kaer Morhen and, and nurse him back to health, and he doesn't remember what the hell happened. Um, so that's basically how CD Projekt Red were like, we want to use him, how do we get him out of that situation? Well, this is how we do it. And then the whole, I mean, the whole trilogy is basically about him piecing all that back together and finding Yennefer and finding out what happened to him and why he did what he did and why he ended up where he was and who these wild hunt guys are and what he can do to kind of take revenge on them and then finally remembering Siri and I mean it all kind of flows together real well part of the problem I think is the first game was never on consoles um, so you didn't have really mainstream breakout appeal also it's a very heavily it rough it's a heavily modified version yeah. of the Neverwinter Nights 1 engine yeah. I mean it's not a playable game there's a reason it wasn't on console unless you gotta really meet it halfway yeah and um, which is why I think uh, if they could finish that remake they're working on Rise of the White Wolf would be a very good 
addition. Also, that means that you could, you know, because Witcher. I saw somebody give you props for that on the site this week, actually. Yeah, Witcher Two is, uh, you know, because Witcher Two is pretty remasterable. So again, yeah, and you, and you do the remake of that, you can bundle all three of them as a trilogy, sell them for the next two generations. Like that's instant income forever. Like Absolutely. you're in, you're in GTA Five. But those games are not easy to create either. No, it's no, not no. A, like a like a Crash Bandicoot insane trilogy. No, <laughs> it takes a lot more work. To... But, I th- but I think CD Projekt Red is big enough and funded well enough that they yeah. could they could have oh, a, absolutely do it. A yeah. little corner working on that. Yeah, for sure. And frankly, I mean, if you play uh, Witcher Two backwards compatible on Xbox One X, looks great. It does. Like yeah. it's fine. The other thing about Witcher Two is it's just a little jankier than Three. Like it's, yeah. They're getting there. But I mean, it wasn't even just quite... a character that they that it developed over time. It oh, was yeah. everything: the like, engine, the combat, everything. Oh, yeah. You can tell Witcher Three slowly over those. Well, you can tell Witcher Three is like this is this is what was in their head. This is what we wanted when to we make originally. In the first yeah. Place. yeah, because because Witcher One has big open environments and you right. solve things. Everything kind of unfolds organically. Same way, it's just. Real Poorly clunky, executed, you know. Yeah. It's like, what can you? I mean, it's the Neverwinter Nights engine. You can do it only. You only do only so do much so with Aurora. Much, yeah. And uh, I remember asking, you know, back when they were first working on Witcher Two, and and I'd played Witcher One, and I went uh, and I thought would talk to them about it a little bit. I'm just like, well, I was ask them about the the you know making it work on the Aurora engine, the first game, and like. The look on the looks they'd get on their faces were just like you could tell they were remembering a horrible thing. Like you could, like they, like it was just like it, it was a time they didn't want to talk about. Yeah, really. yeah. It was just like cramming everything they wanted to do on that engine. Like, and one of the guys were like, "It wasn't the Aurora engine anymore. Yeah. It was something else. It was what we made. It yeah. was you know it, whatever whatever we what, what we put what out was not real. I mean, it was built on that, but we, we ripped it apart and put it back together yeah. three times, and it didn't matter anymore. So also this week, CD Projekt Red did a. I think what happened was a lot of interviews were conducted at E3, and then they just got published this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't look like Cyberpunk is coming anytime soon. Oh no! Like literally, like two, three years, years from now. Yeah. So when are you? When are we going to see the next Witcher game? Like after that? Like six or seven years from now? Maybe. I mean, I think we're in. That's so long. But yeah, but we're in Bethesda territory there, right? Yeah. Because Starfield, you know, right. Todd straight up said that's next gen, yeah. and then Elder Scrolls Six is after that. Yeah. So. We're we're uh, we're in a whole new era of looking way down the road because there's nothing else coming out. It's a good thing Witcher Three sold as well as it did. Oh yeah. Because otherwise, having development schedules like that would bankrupt most studios. Yeah, well, I think they are. And also, they're kind of self-published. They don't really have to give. Well, they're very thing. self-published. They also own GOG, which makes them right. a fine amount of money, I'm sure. And they're also very heavily subsidized by the Polish government. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're so, in Europe. So. Because they're they're kind of some of the favorite sons of Poland right as now. As they should be. Yeah. So. So I think they're in a really good spot to keep making, keep making great games and to keep that very pro-consumer attitude they've had since, frankly, the beginning when The Witcher 1 came out and had all these problems and they put out the Enhanced Edition. If you already own the original one, you got it for free. Yeah. Like it was just an update. Yeah, yeah. It was a whole new retail release of the Enhanced Edition that they put out. But if you already had it, boom, Take you it. get the whole thing. I mean, that, and that had a rewritten script, all new voice acting. Everything they I mean, put was, work into. Oh yeah, it. yeah. and then did it. They did it again with Witcher Two. Mm-hmm. So uh, another enhanced edition that was free for existing owners. And you know, not. I mean, it sounds obvious, but not a lot of other publishers would do that today. No, you're right. EA would definitely sell that. I don't think again. it sounds that obvious. I mean, that's really going above and beyond. Yeah. So by any measure. So. So you know, as long as they can keep on keeping on, I am totally fine with however long they want to take to make these things. Yep. So let's time, let's time to move on. We're going to talk next about augmented reality, something we have not talked about a ton on Game Face because it's kind of, for me personally, augmented reality is 
something I fiddle around with on my phone. Mm -hmm. I, got, I got an iPhone X months ago, and one of the first things I did was I went to the App Store and I found all the AR stuff because that was kind of the thing with the X is it, it has like these onboard chips that are supposed to make AR. And literally I downloaded like all the highest rated AR stuff and fiddled with them for like literally each one for like two minutes and was like, meh, meh, why? Well, my thing with that is like, you know, I'm more skeptical, skeptical about AR uh, than VR in the sense that both things require you to put a thing on your face. Yeah. Um, if you want to do like kind of a Google Glass, like, um, you know, like HoloLens thing. Um, but AR seems to expect me to go outside with it. It does, yeah. And like, that's a big part. I think it. Google Glass showed that we're not ready for that as a society yet. I think AR has a lot more opportunities for revenue generation. Yeah. Uh, because it can be used in more consumeristic ways right. well, than also VR I, can. Well, yeah, because it's like an interface thing. And also, I feel like it has a, a future in, um, in teaching, yeah. in like corporate settings, like a PowerPoint-style thing. Like, I think in, in terms of like, of like an interactive sort of like audience plus presenter thing. Like there's a lot of like more practical applications Absolutely. there for it. And you don't have to have a helmet, even though what we're seeing right now is Magic right. Leap. Magic Leap is, is more like a, a the, the, the pitch is kind of like VR but AR. Like, yeah. you know, playing games and it changes your room into a thing. It's HoloLens that's actually coming out. And might be affordable to a human being. Eh. Well, HoloLens is like the estimate. HoloLens like, is not. Like three, yeah. four thousand dollars, yeah. right? I mean. The problem you run, I mean, the I, Magic I saw, Leap is designed to be a consumer product right, from the beginning, yeah, right? Um, and they've been running, you know, they've been showing demo videos and and you know, like hype videos for years, and they've burned through like a billion dollars. Like like in the investors, There's, there have been a lot yeah. of accusations of them frivolously wasting money, and that their office is like a frat house, and mm -hmm. everyone's just playing ping pong instead of actually working on the product, but. Little do they know, they're not playing with a real ping pong right, ball. Right, right. <laughs> it's just all <laughs> Oddly enough, in a minute, you'll see their uh, version of table yeah. tennis. But in the last week, Magic Leap has leapt out of the shadows, and it's coming. So this summer, within the next month or two, developers are going to get the first production-quality Magic Leap headsets. Um, they want to give developers the next six, eight months to work on software, and then a launch to the public early, mid next year. Mm -hmm. uh, they have released some of the specs. Magic Leap runs on a Tegra X2. Uh, for reference, the Switch runs on an X1 with some slight modifications, but for the most part, it's an X1. So this is more powerful than the Switch. But the other thing you need to keep in mind with augmented reality and Magic Leap is that doesn't need to be that powerful because you're not rendering the whole world. All you're rendering is the object that is overlaid over top of the real world. Mm -hmm. So essentially the game quote unquote level is just there because it's using the camera to pick it up and then it overlays the polygonal stuff over top of whatever the camera is capturing. So it doesn't need to have a GTX 1080 to have great visuals. It should be able to get by with an X2 chip pretty well in my opinion. Um, so anyway, Magic Leap's left out of the shadows. They've had two huge streams where they've talked about it. This is where this footage is coming from, where they kind of showed the hardware for the first time. Then the next stream, they actually showed some software and some applications for it. My question to you, Matt, is, is there a market for this? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and the other thing is, like, if you looked, if you looked at um, kind of reactions online, like, this, and look, I admit I have not really been following the Magic Leap thing. 
And There's nothing to follow. No, there was. It was just radio well, there, silence there, for well, like also, two years. I mean, there was hype like around the 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 the, the video, you know, the, the proof of concept videos. They yeah. released like the the audience watching while the whale jumped out of the stage and stuff like that. Yeah. But what we've seen in these videos is not that. Yeah. And you can see right here, like every you know, that's rough. Like the frame rate, for lack of a better term. Ugh. Like it's it's very jumpy, very very choppy, um, and like. The other thing people I saw were complaining about is like the things that it's putting in the in the world, like through the through the chip, uh, through the through the headset, are not opaque enough to look like they belong in the environment. And they even you mentioned can see that. through them. Yeah, and they even, oh jeez. Well, they even mentioned that in the video where they're like, yeah, it's it's better. To, we found it's better to lean into that basically, <laughs> and like you know, you're not trying to convince someone that everything's real or whatever. And like, well, you, no, you and are. They, and they show like this <laughs> thing, this, this little golem thing, like this golem thing throws like boulders at you. You have to block it with your hands or whatever. Um, I just I haven't I I'm not I don't have a lot of expectations or like. It will pick up hand Whatever. gestures without a glove, yeah. which is kind of a big deal. I mean, you got to wonder how, you know, so, so did the Kinect, technically. I mean, yeah. how well does that work <laughs> in actual practice? Well, I'm, I'm assuming this is a little better at least. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I ain't going to buy one, so <laughs> like, I don't, it, it just doesn't look. And the other thing is, of course, um, you're, we, and we don't know, I guess, well, I, mean, I don't know because I haven't used it, but like, how much of this is like demo stuff and how much, you know, what is the actual field of view? Yeah. Because that was a HoloLens uh, realization. When you first put on the HoloLens, what you don't realize when you're seeing those demos is the actual field of view when you have it on your face is like maybe 30 degrees. Yeah. Like it's a tiny sliver of your vision is actually taken up by that. And the instant you look away, it becomes, you know, you're, you're talking about like a tiny little circle like that you can actually see the thing and as soon as you turn away it's, oh, half, really? it's half gone it's a very small amount because because of how our eyes work it's a, right. it's a physical limitation of how you the human can, eye you know project something into your eye like that like you have to be very straight on and it's a kind of like right there in your middle of your focus and maybe that will get better as eye tracking technology gets more incorporated into these things that's also something vr is working on but um I don't know really many people who have tried like the AR headset things and not come away saying like, oh, you can't, it doesn't fill as much as your vision is because you have a, an idea of like, you think it's going to be VR, except you can see your room right, right. and it's not yeah, that, it's not how it like works. it's, it's a tiny like slice of your vision cone. Here's my big problem. They finally decide to show the thing, show the hardware, show the applications. And this is the best application they have to show. Right. Really? <laughs> really? You're going to ask me, I'm assuming, to spend at least $200 for mm. this thing, and this is the demo that you showed me to sell me on it the first time? Hey, at, le hey, at least the, their Gollum game will come out. <laughs> Where's, where are you, Sony? No, you're right, the though. That's a good point. <laughs> that Gollum game, I don't think, is ever coming out. So it's like you, you, have this, you have one chance to make a first impression. And look, mm -hmm. we've known about Magic Leap for a year and a half or two years. The average consumer does hasn't known anything about Magic Leap. Maybe they browse past a story on their favorite news site and maybe caught a glimpse of it at some point. But I'll be honest, when I saw the story first pop up this week, I'm like, Magic Leap, is that like one of those like kids drawing right, tablet yeah. thing? Like I thought it was like some kind of learning like You can see right there, thing. you can see through the rock. Yep. Exactly what you were saying. You could totally see it right there. You could see the transparent, mm -hmm. the, the rock was like transparent. To me, that's a huge freaking no-no. Yeah. 
for AR. Well, it's also not what they showed in their proof of concept. Oh, course. no. No, no, no. Not at all. And their proof of concept stuff looked pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, proof of concept stuff is always going to be a little optimistic. Yeah, yeah. You know that, But, like, this falls so far short of what they were, you know, it, it's... I mean, I know you got to get... Uh, see how you can see through yeah. the rock there. Yeah, I know you got to get investors and stuff, but if I were an investor in this, I'd be like, what the I'd be hell pretty mad. is going on? The crazy part, though, is from what I've heard, some of their... their there are some new people that want to get in on it. There's some more huh. invest. I mean, this thing has been a money pit already. Yeah, I mean, although I guess you might say that, like, in the world of, like, crazy tech venture capital, at least they have an actual object to show you. Like, I that's, guess. That's already puts them ahead of half the company. No, you're right. You're right. But, look, even the AR stuff that I messed around with on my iPhone 10, um, in a lot of ways, it was more engaging than what we're seeing here from Magic Leap. Mm -hmm. And it kept my attention for literally like two minutes. Think back to the 3DS. Remember, the 3DS does AR. Remember mm -hmm. how when you got your 3DS, they gave you those three like little playing cards and you could put them on the oh, table yeah. and then characters. Even Nintendo realized very, very quickly that yeah, this is not gonna be something that we're gonna be able to sell. Mm -hmm. And notice that feature, you've never seen it again in the 3DS. Nope. That was it. Whatever you got in your launch unit, those cards, that was it for AR and 3DS. Yeah, well, they had a couple of like those little like face blasters or yeah. whatever. That, that all like, came out yeah. at launch. Those yeah. all launched Where they take yeah. like a picture of your face and then you were like, that was plastered yeah. on, an on a spaceship or whatever. All that stuff happened at launch and never came back. This also, I don't like it. Just get two paddles in a ball. Just play table like, tennis. Like yeah. you've already, you're not saving any space. You're not saving any time. You're not saving any equipment. Like, like literally get two paddles in a ball and another person. Like, I think they're just trying, I mean. It's just a demo. I get it. But yeah. it's like nothing here is, is, it's like also like ping pong without the force feedback of maybe that paddle does that. I don't know. Maybe. Like, but like, I feel like you're trying to solve a problem that's not there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, Magic Leap, if you're an investor or you're a potential investor, are, do you put money into this thing at this point? Mm, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I mm. mean, if you look around and look at all the VR HMDs that have come out over the last year and a half, they've all failed. All of them. All of them. Mm -hmm. Like, all those, like, uh, PC hardware manufacturers all decided to make their own VR HMDs. They've all tanked. They're all now at rock-bottom prices. Nobody wants them. Uh, the Windows, what were they called? The Windows Mixed Media Headsets. Yeah. There was like a tagline for them or whatever. Those are all failures. They're all gone or on sales racks somewhere right now. Um, I don't know. What is going to be the thing that sets off VR or AR, though? Well, I don't think AR is salvageable. I think... A I think as a, again, as a consumer product, sure. But yeah. as entertainment, I don't think so. Yeah. Like, it's... Well, in terms of what they're trying to sell here, is it's just, you know, obviously, like, Pokemon Go is an AR product, and that's done very well. Has it done very well because of the AR aspect? No. But, well, like, it doesn't hurt. That. I don't know like, about that. I think if some people do like about Pokemon Go is that it does get them up and out. And that's not AR. No. What, I'm, what I mean is, like, where you, you hold the thing up and it shows you the, the, the you know, the, the, what you're looking at and the Pokemon appears on there. That's the AR feature. Where, and, that, and now there's even a fee, an option to turn it off. Oh really? Yeah, you can. I, I have it turned off because I want to stick my phone in people's faces in line or whatever. It's like you turn it off and it just shows like a generic kind of Pokemon background and you you throw the ball. I didn't even know that. Oh yeah. But I did think part of it was seeing the Pokemon in the real world. Early on, I think. And searching like, yeah. for them and finding them hidden in a statue or in some bush. Yeah, or but whatever. the reason it became super popular is the social aspect and kind of the the 
the taking it into the real world, which isn't quite the same as the AR thing. Like, you know, it's but like no, having, having to go to the place is kind of the, the, the hook instead of seeing the, the Pokemon sitting on somebody's face. Or right, whatever. but they're kind of linked, though, because if you can't see that statue that you walked to to get Pokeballs or whatever, if you can't really see it, do you walk to it still? Huh? To get the Pokeballs? Well, you have to, or you don't get the Pokeballs. Right, but I'm just saying, I, to me, I think the AR element of it is a bit of a motivator for people to get up and go out. Well, that's not AR, though. I mean, AR is like taking, you know, slapping the character on that real-life photo when you're holding right. the I, I get that. But, but like, I think the Pokestops if you're not using the real life, well, just hunting Pokemon or whatever, just the AR in general, I think it is an incentive for some people who play the game. I think if, if say, okay... There's a Pokestop out here on the corner, and we need to still walk out there to get it. But if you walk out there and you can't see the mailbox or whatever that, that, that's hidden in, to me that's less incentive. Like, I'm not going to just walk a block as it shows me a Pokemon world on my phone. To... But I mean, that's what it is. But it's not. It's showing the real world normally. It's showing your ma the map of the real world, but that's not AR. Like, like the, there's a little Pokestop thing with a photo of, you know, like the Starbucks or whatever. That's not AR. That's just a photo of a Starbucks. Uh, you're not understanding what I'm trying to say. I, guess I not. totally understand what AR is. I think you should give me that. I know what right, it is. Right, but I'm saying like the AR elements of Pokemon Go didn't is not what made this made it a giant hit. Otherwise, you'd see Nintendo trying to double down on the AR thing more often. But what made it a hit then? Because otherwise the, people would just sit at home and play Pokemon. That's not what AR is, though. Like, the social aspect and going out there having to go to the actual locations, that's not AR. That's the premise of the game, but it's not My point AR is part. that I think AR is what's convincing the people to go. I think if you just told well, no. someone, hey, here's the, new, here's the Pokemon game for Switch. If you need Pokeballs, you're going to have to go down to Staples Center to get them. But, I just think people would just not go. But that's literally what Pokemon Go is. Right, but I think people care more because it does incorporate that real world element with its augmented reality. But that's not the augmented reality. Augmented, the only AR aspect of Pokemon Go is when you see a Pokemon and you hold the thing up and it sits there and you throw the ball at it. No, it's anytime it's superimposing the video game graphics over the real world. That's augmented reality. Yeah, it never does that except when you catch a Pokemon. Like the Pokestops are just sitting there on the map and you walk up close to one and it says you're in range and you hit the thing and spin the thing and you get the Pokeballs. Like that's not AR. Yeah, but I mean, it's a map of the real world though that you're following. It's like a treasure hunt in the real world. Right, but I'm, what I'm saying is that's not AR. That's just geocaching, basically. Yeah, I don't know. Like if I The AR aspect of Pokemon Go is when you find a Pokemon and you hold, you have to hold it up and find a little grass thing animates and you have to tap it to find it yeah. and then it pops up and you throw the, that's AR. Yeah. And like that's not why I think people freaked out about this game. But if they you freaked go to like out because Pokestop, you get to go out and but if and you go, go to out like a Pokestop to get Pokeballs, like for instance, there's a statue a couple blocks from where I live. Mm -hmm. Like when you walk up to the statue, you hold up your phone and you see the real statue, and then you can tap it, and then the balls start like flying out of it. Yeah, but that's not AR. It like, is though, because the Pokeballs are the game generated graphics, and I'm seeing the actual statue through my phone. That's not how it works when I do it. Maybe they've changed it since it launched. I honestly haven't played Pokemon Go since, like, the first month it came and out. I don't think it's different. I mean, it's different in that you save a photo of the Pokestops you go to, and you can send those to your friends as, like, gifts. It's like a postcard, yeah. and it comes with, like, random items, I think. Um, but it's like you chose your little Pokestop on the map, and you go to it, and when you get there, it has, like, kind of the radius around your character, and the Pokestop changes form, and you hit the button, and it shows you the picture of wherever it is, and you spin the thing, and the, you get the things. So there's, there's no real-world picture 
uh, outside of kind of the, the placeholder photo of what the place is, like the Starbucks sign or whatever. Where does that, where do they get those photos from? Usually it's user provided. Oh, really? And a whole, I mean, I think they've done a revamp, but early on, a whole bunch of them were from... Uh, Google uh, Maps? No, it was from their previous game. Oh, Ingress. In Ingress. Ah. It was from Ingress. I mean, the Pocus, a lot of the Pocus stops were identical. all that stuff. Like, it's, ah, like, or, like early know. on, I think a lot of that has been tweaked and shifted in the years since then. But when it first launched, it was basically a Pokemon skin laid over the Ingress. Ingress, uh, is that right? Ingress, yeah. It, over the Ingress map. With I mean, the stops were the same. The battle locations were turned into Pokemon Coliseums and, or whatever they, are, you know, whatever they call them in the Pokemon game. Um, no, and so I think that's been shifted a lot, and people, you know, various various businesses have requested we want to be a Poco Stop, so that's a shame. But, but early on, yeah, it was just, and a lot of those the assets were reused. So what have we figured out? I think we figured out that if you want to make AR popular, you have to have a big IP attached to it. It helps, or at the very least, the I mean, or maybe I it seems like you have no chance. Unless I don't it has think a big AR IP. is why Pokemon. I think the only thing you can say about the AR in Pokemon Go is it didn't hurt. Yeah, like it, it helped. But it didn't sell it. It wasn't. But see, you know, I like like I went to Dodger Stadium to a Dodgers game, for instance, mm -hmm. and pulled out my phone and started playing Pokemon Go. And I looked down, and there is a Squirtle on the baseball field that's like fifty feet tall. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Like I was like, wow. And like literally, you see the little players like standing next to him, and then there's this gigantic Pokemon. Like I think there's some power leverage in the yeah, AR yeah, yeah. of the I, game. I think that's it's like fun that one time and then like also you did not pay two to three hundred dollars for the device you did no that you're right with. you Absolutely already right. owned it no yeah. yeah for sure like it's it's a nice bonusy thing and i just don't think it's something you can sell devices on the back of you we know also I mean? you're talking about magically it's it has really no major development studios right. to create exclusive content for it are you can you see a major publisher developing like big games for that no way like, like, if you're big enough to develop games, like, that would be something that could be a breakout idea for that kind of technology, you're also big enough to make your own. Yeah. Or incorporate it into something you're already working on. Or smart enough to know you should or make smart it smart enough to not mess with it, place. yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, I don't think VR is a slam dunk either, but I, yeah, think, yeah. I think VR, the other thing about VR is when you experience VR, it's a lot closer to what you thought it was going to be than what AR tends to be. Yeah. At, at least no, in right. terms of strapping the glasses yeah, to yeah. your face sort of thing. I'm just wondering if they're being smart by trying to market this to us. I don't know. It seems to me like they should, and look, Google Glass wasn't I mean, a big you should, hit either. We should but. probably be asking like 22-year-olds. No, you're right. More, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was having this argument with one of my friends about who doesn't believe VR is ever going to be anything. It's yeah. just like, it's never going to, you know, maybe it'll be like an arcade experience where you, like, like the thing at Glendale Galleria right now where you go play that Star Wars thing. Right. Where the whole set you're on is literally recreated in real life. And yeah, yeah. like when you're in the VR, like, if you see a railing, you can reach out in the you game touch and you the touch the railing because yeah. it's an exact duplicate right, of what's in the right. game. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, but like, to, and I'm like, well, eventually, like 15 to 20 years from now, I think, you know, VR will, will be a primary method of consuming entertainment. I think, Probably, you know, and, yeah. and he was adamant like that that was not going to happen. And I'm like, you, he's like, you, I'm like, you sound like, like someone who says that arcade games can never come to home consoles because right. <laughs> no one will want to, no one will want to play them if you can't sit on the super hang on bike. Right. You know? yeah, no yeah. one gives a shit. Yeah. Like, like, like if you can replicate that at home and people don't have to leave home to do it, they'll love it. And, and like he, and he was complaining about like, well, I don't want to wear a thing on my face. 3D, you know, 3D movies didn't take off because you had to wear glass. I'm like, yeah, but. VR is an amazing experience. 3D doesn't really enhance anything. It's, it's two different. Yeah. You can't, it's apples and oranges. Also, your daughter 
in 15 years is going to hear you say things like this and react the way we reacted to our parents not understanding how a mouse works. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. it's just it's the next generation if they if they attach to it, if they see that as a normal and thing a way they like to experience it, it's totally going to become a mainstream thing 15 to 20 years from now when these headsets are smaller, when they last longer, when they're wireless, yeah. when they when they maybe don't need, you know, don't need you to drill holes in the wall to to tell where 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 they are in in space, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and eventually I've seen it already a little bit with like Snapchat, right. like I don't get Snapchat. I have no idea why people want to use it. I have no idea why they want to watch what other people are doing with it. Part of the, 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 I know what, what's successful on it. I know what right. kind of content you need to put on it so that it resonates with people, but I have no idea why well, they part care. of the appeal is the, the temporality of it. Right. Um, it's up and then it's gone it's, for good. Cause think about, Even though it's not, really. right. It's not, but like <laughs> I mean, the concept is that's yeah. why it's appealing because think about it. Think about if you're that age, if you're that generation, one of the things you have grown up knowing is almost anything you do online is always there forever. Yeah. It's something we didn't have to worry about because the stupid shit we did when we were 15 no one recorded it, was yeah. not on YouTube. <laughs> right. Like, you know, no right. one knows yeah. it happened, but us, yeah. you know? And we only have to share that if we, if we, uh, you know, we, the only reason you'd ever know some of the stupid stuff I did when I was a kid is if I tell you or you look up some really obscure police records. Yeah, yeah. And like, you don't have that as a kid today. So the idea of this like little service, I can be you, anonymous. You can just send things to all your friends and say things, and then your dad can't look up, look it up with you know right. on your phone like twenty minutes later. That's awesome. <laughs> you can't like, go on the which is why I don't use Snapchat because I don't have to worry about right. that. You know, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't need Snapchat really because I don't really do anything. I need to forget. I don't have about. to. Forget. And also, like <laughs> nobody else can look at my phone and see right. the stupid things I was texting to somebody. Yeah, but I think that's an example of something that the kids really get that I don't get right. already. So no, I think Snapchat, you're absolutely right. It's, Snapchat, it's headed I think, that way. Snapchat, I think, was the first like big popular thing that I said I don't need that. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> It's um, the other stuff, kids. I'm good with, but this one. Oh yeah, not but for like, me. But like, I think VR will get there, and and um, you know, it, you know, like I said, your daughter will will. He's like, oh, I can't, yeah, I, I can't eat popcorn or drink a drink while I'm in VR. It's stupid. I'm like, I'm like, you're gonna say that to your daughter, and she's gonna be like, uh, Dad, you just use the voice print scanner to input your VXR yeah. cup into yeah. the virtual space, and then you can drink it with your, you know, with your with your InfraTouch glove. Right. By then, we'll and be like drinking meals anyway. So. Like, duh. <laughs> Or it'll just be like an and IV you, fed into your arm. And you don't, and she, she, you know, kids her age don't say like, duh, but she used right. slang from our generation to make him feel more comfortable. <laughs> That's and, hilarious. And then she touched the little implant on her cheek to change her eye color and dove out the window and had her drone catch her in midair before she went to the dance. <laughs> That's great. So, so HoloLens <laughs> and he was never left, coming out. And we he we was know that in. at this point, right? Yeah, it doesn't sound like they ever have a plan for a consumer. We're never going to be able to buy it. We probably don't want to buy it. Or if they do, it. it'll be so far down the road that like, what we've already seen won't even matter. Notice the guy who heads up that division wasn't even at E3. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who's the Avatar guy whose shoe... Yeah. Um, I want to see the bottom What's of the Avatar name? shoe looks like. Oh, I can't remember. Ono or something Co like that? Kono. 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 Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know who we're talking about, but he wasn't at E3. No. So you HoloLens, I know, I've only met dust him, in the wind. I only met him once when we did the Connect Star Wars segment. Yeah. And I was distracted by the dancing Boba Fett <laughs> too much to really pay it. But uh, I think HoloLens never happening. Magically, probably going to be a big flop. It's like I can get better AR on my phone than what they're showing mm -hmm. in their first like big promo video that's supposed to go out to everybody. Yeah, I think the big issue is like once you strap it to your face... You have the the field of vision issue changes everything. Which yeah. basically, as far as I know, they don't have an actual solution for. It's like it might be an actual limitation of the human eye that you can't yeah. get around. 
um, which is really going to make it an issue. Because I mean, because imagine if you're looking at this Gollum thing, like you're look, you're you're thinking about like this the 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 field of view, like you're probably not seeing all of that rock as it flies close to you. Yeah. Like it's too, it's too big. Like you're like, it's, you're probably only able to see like what the space the golem is in and like maybe a little bit past it. And like once, if you look even a little bit to the left or right, his arms will disappear. Right. Um, at least that's how the HoloLens was. Um, like that, mine, that Minecraft thing where it looks like it's like you have the whole Minecraft right. roll on the table. Yeah. No, you can see a sliver of that. You're not seeing. You're the not whole seeing thing, the whole yeah. thing at once. It's, it's there if you look at it, but it's not like it. You, you know, it's not like um, you know you, the way they present it. I find when they little, capture this stuff, I find it dis- it's a little. Tricky. Yeah, I find it yeah. disingenuous because it looks yeah. like you're standing in front of the holographic map display at the Bat Cave or something. Right. It does not look like that. Yeah. Um, and I would hate that. You know, especially in terms of like a consumer device like this, like. If someone sees something like that, expects it to be that, and then they buy it, and it's like they, you know, you've got this little thirty-three degree radius like vision cone, and like, yeah. like this is not what I was sold. Even the Vita did AR. Remember, there was like yeah. that AR fighting game where they it was like fight on your coffee table or whatever. Yeah. What I think again, is, it didn't last on. Vita. What I think is a lot more likely is um, VR headsets begin to have AR capabilities built into them. I mean, the Vive already has a camera on the front of it. You know, like there's yeah. no reason you couldn't do stuff like that as well. Once the once the screen um, resolutions in the headsets become high enough that they're hard to distinguish from just seeing stuff without the headset on, um, you could do AR style stuff in a VR headset and not really lose any kind of, you know, any kind of gimmickry from it. Yeah. It would still be pretty much the same experience. Um, and it would also be kind of fun to have to walk around with a VR headset, but seeing the actual room you're in. Yeah, yeah. Or the, the you know, like walk down the street with a VR headset, you can still see everything, but like you're just seeing it through the VR headset. Yeah. It's just like whoa! Like you, you look like an idiot, but like yeah, who cares? <laughs> I mean, no. but that's the thing is like people forget. It's like there's a point. There's always a time. You go back far enough, wearing sunglasses would make you look like an idiot. No, like right. Someone from the early yeah, 1900s yeah. or like you know wearing shorts or flip. You know, like there's plenty of things that we do that take we take for granted today that people would never remember. I mean, 10 years, ago, t- 10 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. The Become idea, normative behavior, yeah. You know, pl- you know, 20 years ago, the idea is like, oh, everybody's got these little squares and they look at them all the time and nobody really looks at each other anymore, but it's got everything you could ever want to see. I mean, you watch movies on these tiny little screens and I'm sure there'd be people like 1991 going like, why would you ever want to watch a movie on a tiny screen? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 things change. Like, you know, the, what doesn't make sense today, all you need is that little click of the kaleidoscope, a quarter click. That you know, that technological innovation or that content that everybody wants that suddenly makes it the most desirable thing in the world. Yeah, and right. somewhere out there, there's somebody that knows, even if they don't know it yet. Somewhere out there, someone has the thing that's going to make VR that in their head or AR that in their head. Like we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's move on. We're going to probably talk- not going to be Magic Leap though. <laughs> definitely, I don't think it's. I think it's definitely <laughs> not going to be Magic Leap. I was excited for that at first. When I saw like the first like promo videos for it, not anymore. Now that they've actually shown the product. So let's move on. We're gonna talk about a story that literally made my eyeballs almost pop out of my head this week, Matt. And that was that Nintendo hopes to have 30 indie games. And this is what made my eyes pop. I thought it said per month. No. No. 30 indie games per week on Switch. And so my question to you is, at what point is too much of anything a bad thing? Uh, well, that's a point, because when I read that, I was like, hey, you know that thing where, like, indie games come out on our system, 
and our our library is kind of like you know sparse enough that like they can sit there and get exposure and be part of like the front page for a long time and they sell tremendous amounts in the first couple of weeks and like they'll you know the, the indie developers report that like they've had better sales in the first like two weeks on the switch than they did in the first two months on pc Let's find a way to stop that. Yeah. Because that looks, just sounds to me like you're just going to lose all these games in this blizzard of indie games, and you're not going to have... It's going to be very hard to kind of pick out the special ones after that. No, you're you know right. what I mean? Like, it, it feels we've, like you're... Look, we've talked a ton about... Like, I about realize they need to fill their schedule, but that's too much. Like, you're not going to be able to keep the cream of the crop. Because right now, as little interest as I have in all the indie game ports on the Switch, because I've owned most of them for three to four years on other platforms, at least you can look at that store and say, you know what? This is kind of a greatest hits of the last five years of indie games. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like there's ve it's very hard told, to go wrong. If you've been a Nintendo-only player for a while, you haven't had access to a lot of these games. Right. A lot of them never came to Wii U, certainly never came to the Wii, Right, and it's chances are you can just throw a dart at the eShop. Do not actually throw a dart at, at your the Switch. At the eShop. <laughs> um, you can just, you know, you know what I mean? Like, your chances uh, are you're going to pick something worth playing. Because yeah. they've, they've got a very high-quality library of indie game ports right now. Yeah, but I'm not if sure you're, if, if it's you need Nintendo that's curated what's coming, no. or if it's just that the developers are like, hey, this game sold well for us before. Could, could Let's be take the both. effort to develop it again for a Switch. But my point is that if you if you suddenly come up with this, like, mandate that you need 30 of these a week uh all 30 of them are not going to be winners every week it's going to turn into steam yeah where literally it's so funny like we do I mean, uh, you're probably not going to have asset flips and stuff like that but you're you're not going to be able to it's not i mean look i can criticize nintendo for plenty of things but you're not going to be able to keep the quality level that one would expect from a nintendo product i don't even know games. if it's the quality you're right quality will be part of it but I just think that there's going to be so many choices that no one's going to be able to choose. It's like the way things are going right now. First of all, one thing I should say is, as someone who works on a site that's a database, a lot of games are starting to be announced right now, indie games, for PC and Switch first. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just like a game here or there. It's like every week there's at least two indie games that are announced coming to PC and Switch first, or in some cases, Switch first. And you got to follow the money. Debuting on Switch and then coming to PC after that, and then the other guys after that. But right now, you have everything's kind of perfect because you have the big stuff that comes in probably once a month, once every two months for the Switch from first party or third party. And you do need to fill those gaps in between. Right now, there's just the perfect amount of stuff going into the eShop for people to check out. But you don't want it to turn into Steam because the mm -hmm. biggest problem with Steam is it's just too much. Everything just gets lost in the weeds. Uh, you know, we do Dossier, which is the games of the month for every month. And the consoles are pretty easy. You know, each console generally has 10 to 20 games that are coming out in a given month. You go, you look at PC. Oh, my God. <laughs> Literally, like 400 games a month coming out on PC. And a lot of them are just garbage, like gambling simulator or whatever just you know fan projects or whatever but they get the same real estate the same placement as any other game in mm. steam's database and so you're going to start nintendo will start running into the same issue steam has which is how do you curate how do you bubble the good stuff up to the top how do you make sure that the games that people care about they're seeing them so they can spend money on them and i feel like nintendo has such a good thing going right now that it's just I think it's it, it runs the risk of screwing up the good thing because it's trying to say we want more of the good thing instead mm -hmm. of realizing right now you're kind of in that sweet spot 
where you're putting out just enough indie stuff so that people have money to buy the indie games and they're also not overwhelmed with the selection so much that they're just like, you know what, screw it, I'm not buying anything. Like, it's always easy to say, hey, things are going great. How can we make them go better? Well, sometimes things are going about as good as they can and I feel like that's what's happening with the Switch right now. And look, if, if Nintendo does follow this plan and it starts having 30 games a week released for its platform, these developers are suddenly going to change their mind and be like, you know what, why would we put out our game first on Switch? Mm -hmm. Because it's just going to get swallowed up by all the other games and they're going to start turning to PlayStation and Xbox. Now look, Nintendo does have a lot of catching up to do. Most of these games have already come out for PlayStation 4 or Xbox One, and all of them have come out for PC already or mobile. Um, so Nintendo does have a lot of games, or there are a lot of indie games that are good that have still never appeared on a Nintendo platform. So I, I get it right now, but you start talking about six months from now, a year from now, to me it's like it's a self-defeating idea to have mm -hmm. that many games on your platform in such a short period of time. Yeah, I think so too. And I, at the very least, if this is their plan that they're sticking to, there better be one hell of a revamp coming to that eShop in September. Because there needs to be a better way to find these things. There needs to be a better way to sort them. There needs to be a better way to recommend them to a player based on what they've already played. Yeah. Um, there needs to be a way for... I mean, the eShop on the Switch is so basic. Yes. And it's working okay now because there isn't a lot of content much. coming yeah. into it. But that's about to change, obviously. It's, kind of, it's, on, the, it's on the right balance because, look, I started up the Switch to get Octopath Traveler. Uh, we'll be and, talking about that next week. And I probably way. hadn't turned it on in forever. And uh, I went to the store, and I went to see what was there, and I'm like, oh, this is out. This I didn't know that was out. I didn't know that was out. And then like a, maybe a page and a half down, I got to the stuff that was already there the last time I looked. Yeah. Which felt like, you know, a, 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 the right That's amount. That's about I mean, right. Like a couple yeah. months maybe, but it was like, yeah, it's a, a healthy amount of stuff. I didn't know. It was just like, it's, looking at the, it's like looking at the eShop on the 3DS. I look at the eShop on the 3DS periodically, and I'm like, there's like 14 games here I didn't know existed yeah. that are out on, the, on digitally only on the 3DS. I'm like, that looks pretty interesting. I wish I'd known about that earlier. You know, yeah. it happens a lot. They're not very good at like, you know, pushing that content to you, unless, you know, except unless it's Nintendo May. I mean, I turned it on the other last night, and they already had were trying to you know automatically download the demo for Captain Toad, uh, Treasure Tracker. Right. But if you're not a Nintendo published game, you're just gonna get buried. Now imagine if you're an indie developer, and you did the same thing that you did. Hadn't turned on your Switch for a month or two turn it on, go to the eShop, and you scroll down, and it takes you a little bit, but eventually you get to mm -hmm. where you were the last time. That would encourage you to put a game out on Switch, because right. you're like, look, I can put it out. It's going to have a shelf life in the eShop of at least a month. That's pretty mm -hmm. good. But, but now this, all of a sudden, when you're putting out 30 now games a week... 240 games right. between you and the last time you looked. I, more isn't always better, I guess is what I would say about this. And I think Nintendo... And, any, and anyone who likes Nintendo systems should know that. Right. It might be a little bit of an overcorrection on Nintendo's right. part, where it's heard for so long, you don't have enough games. You don't have enough games. And now it's like, well, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> I really wonder, though, if that might be part of the strategy behind it. Because even with the Switch, it's already starting to get to that, like... There aren't any games for it. Or you have to wait two months or three months in between games. It's starting to look a whole lot like prior Nintendo consoles. And so I feel like maybe this is Nintendo trying to correct that, but Somewhat. ultimately going too far in the other direction. Although to be fair, with Octopath Traveler coming out, it's probably the only interesting thing being released in July to me. No, you're right. Like, yeah. So 
Tough month. Nintendo doesn't have any games, yada, yada, yada. Well, they got the only game I'm interested in this month, so yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it's too many. I think you're gonna you, you wander into the shovelware territory at that point because you're just gonna try to. Feed, oh, there's already shovelware coming to Switch. You're just gonna try me. to feed. You're trying to feed the beast at that point. You know, there's all kinds any. of iOS and Android games oh, that yeah. have never been released for any console, but they're many coming of, to many Switch. of which have never been charged for. No, before. you're right. No, you're right. And there's a, a lot weird. of free to play games that are coming to Switch, and they'll charge you ten or fifteen yeah. bucks for them. Yeah, so keep an eye on that. We try to, whenever we do the blurbs on Sifted, we try to mention stuff like that to help you guys out so you don't have to actually go and watch or do research on the game. And we try to tell you as much as we can in that two or three sentences to uh, keep you informed, but there's only so yeah. much we can do. I'm just, in the end, I'm just going to end up playing Golf Story again. Yeah, <laughs> which not a bad thing no, at all. Not a, but it's like, imagine how hard it would be to find a Golf Story in a blizzard of, of 30 to 60 yeah. games every couple of weeks. Absolutely. You know? like, like would cream you even give it a chance? I don't know. You probably wouldn't. Because if there's 240 other games, what makes Golf Story stand out? Because also the other problem with the eShop is it doesn't really have like user ratings that you can sort by yet. Yeah. I'm assuming that maybe Nintendo will make some changes as more games come online. But Yeah, I'm hoping that September's update is going to really revamp a bunch of this stuff because uh, it needs it. I mean, oh, it needs more than a revamp. I mean, I never, I never thought I'd say it, but it's like even the lack of the Miiverse feature is kind of just you know, a problem now because it yeah. just doesn't feel like there's any kind of feedback from the community uh, that you can, you know. I mean, I, I'm not saying I make my Steam buying decisions through just purely through the reviews, but it's like at least it's nice to it read helps. something. Yeah. I mean, even just that weirdo on the Wii U who used to put up reviews about how the water looked on every game. Right, I mean, right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, at least it's something. some value, I, re yeah. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a thing that was part of the Wii U community or, like, yeah. culture that I remember. Like, that's a real thing. Uh, the Switch could use some of that. What about um, Nintendo incentivizing indie developers to either create exclusive games for Switch or at least give Nintendo some exclusivity, period? Uh, the game I've been playing the last few days is a game called Garage. And I don't know if you remember it or not. Actually, Sam, there should be some B-roll there of Garage for you to bring up. But it's a... Uh, it should be there. It's a top-down survival horror game. It looks kind of like Hotline Miami. Mm. Um, it's a few clips down, Sam. It should be there. But um, it was a Switch exclusive for a while. And it, it had like a month of exclusivity, I think, before it, and it just came out for PC. And I've been playing it on PC and not on Switch. And uh, it's really not that remarkable of a game. Um, and so I wonder what sort of advantage that really gives a platform holder mm. i mean I, I can probably count on two hands the indie games that to me were needle movers there just haven't been that many yeah and so i wonder even if you, you're to say okay well if nintendo takes the other approach and says let's follow our usual mantra which is quality over quantity does that even work in the indie space i think it does to some degree but the the it... I mean, the more they can they can incentivize people to want their platform ahead of you know for things you can't get elsewhere, even if it's for a temporary amount of time, um, the better. I think that's a good strategy right now because they clearly don't have the internal output capacity right now. Um, but the other thing about it is like you never know what the next hit indie game is going to be. Like it's hard. You know, yeah. like, like you kind of you're, you're taking shots in the dark a lot. You never know. I mean, if you if you'd looked at just the preliminary screens or whatever of Night in the Woods. Would you have been able to tell right. that that was going to be your favorite no, game of that not. year? Yeah. No. 
um, would you have known that PUBG was going to revolutionize the industry? No. Definitely like, not. So, like... Not from screenshots. You're rolling the dice when you're doing that, but, like, I don't think that's a bad thing, necessarily. Like, it's, you know, especially if, you, if you're keeping your expectations and your budgets uh, reasonable. Um, so, yeah, is this, this garage is going to set the world on fire? No. Um, I'm assuming Nintendo kicked the developers some sort of cash. Yeah, to... probably. I mean, but it's like, why not? Like, it's, it's something that you can't get elsewhere. Like, that's also sort of, like, one of the big appeals to people who love the Switch. Like, they talk about that all the time. Um, you know, they, they want to play things that they can't play elsewhere. They, and and you've got the two kinds of Switch owners. You've got the people that want to play everything that they think that Call of Duty, you know, Black Ops 4 is coming to the Switch magically right. at some point, which is obviously not true. But then you've got people that just, like, want to play cool new experiences. And if it's only on the Switch, all the better. Um... I don't really see a downside to uh, getting Nintendo getting more involved with uh, indie games and more involved with kind of uh, like making making them a more unique or a more special or more exclusive experience on the Switch. I think that's a smart direction to go in right now. What to get more exclusive indies? Yeah, more exclusive indies, or even just a time release thing. Like the more you can do of that, because that the is better. a way to offset the crowding problem, right? Because if you incentivize the developer to make the game for Switch, then maybe they don't care so much about their game getting swallowed up by a sea yeah. of other games. Yeah, well, you just got to make sure that uh, if a game is part of that initiative, that you are properly promoting it and giving it the space it deserves. Um, which I feel like they've had a problem uh, making that happen on the 3DS eShop. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, they, they need to really reevaluate uh, how they go about that on the Switch. And I mean, pro hopefully also, I mean, the eShop e is continuous between the two platforms, so hopefully it would benefit the, uh, the 3DS as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, yeah, it should. Um, yeah, I, I have no problem with that. Like, I mean, if you can make the Switch a destination platform for indie stuff, why not do it? It's one of its strengths. Yeah. Like, and it's, and it's also... For the most part, this, these kinds of graphics and this kind of, you know, what we see out of indie games is uh, very functional on both a large monitor and on a small screen. So it makes the, it, you know, it fits with the portability aspect. Like, there's no reason not to. So we're saying 30 a week, way too much. What do you think is the right number there, Matt? I would go more for five-ish. Yeah. Even that maybe. Even that's a lot. It's <laughs> yeah. still like 20 indie games a month. That, no, that seems okay. That seems like that. That's a good number of, of games to be able to parse yeah. them. And there's enough right yeah. now. I mean, it's it's not like they, there's shortages of indie games right now. I mean, that's the thing. Nintendo's been so far behind in this regard for so long. There's just, I mean, there are indie games from like 2013 that are being re-released on the Switch. Mm -hmm. It is like the indie gold rush on the Switch right now. You can just see it. Like as somebody who has to create games as they're announced every day, you see it. I can see the tide turning where. A lot of games are just being announced for Switch that have been literally, literally out for like six, seven uh -huh. years. But also, every new indie game that's announced has Switch, and now a lot of them are like Switch first, or just PC and Switch, and then PS4 and Xbox One after. So, uh -huh. whatever Nintendo's doing to get more content on its platform is absolutely working, and I commend it for that. But there is a certain point where the law of diminishing returns starts right. to kick there's in. Right, there's a point at which this strategy if they carry it to its, to its illogical extreme, could end up shooting themselves in the foot and kind of ruining one of the good things they've sort of stumbled into with the system. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. Got a lot to show to get to still. We're going to talk about one of the few big-ish games that has come out this month, uh, Red Faction 
remastered hmm. remastered version of yeah. the it sounds like they just made the game and revoiced the main character with James Marsters but yeah. it's not <laughs> it's not what happened yeah i was disappointed yeah it's not a crossover of red dead yeah. and uh, and red faction although wow that would be remastered edition <laughs> right. yeah uh, so matt i have you been a fan of red faction in the past no me either the first Red I liked Faction, this one. Yeah, you liked it? I liked it okay. I didn't think it was that great. The first Red Faction I used as like a toy. Right. Because it had, it, then they, they called it Geomod. They still right. call it that in this one? No. You don't see it anywhere in the game? I don't think so. They, they just call it destroying stuff. Yeah. They called their engine like the Geomod engine because you mm. could blow everything up. Yeah, and you just drill your way to nowhere. Basically. Literally, what I would do in the game was I would just get a rocket launcher and I would just start shooting into the environment until mm -hmm. I dug a hole all the way through the world until I just hit this black abyss at the edge of whatever the developers Yeah, that doesn't work anymore in this one. Yeah, um, this the, is more of a game than like a toy. Yeah, the hook on this one is that the building destruction is extremely detailed. Like, it's still probably one of the best building destruction physics games ever. Um, like, you, you got to take the supports out of things. You have a, you have a, a giant futuristic sledgehammer. Um, because you're sort of a cross between like a miner and a fireman, like a little bit. And like you, sort of, you just go up and smash stuff and eventually you smash enough of it that it collapses. And if it collapses on you, it might kill you, but usually that doesn't happen. Um, but that's the fun of it is like just, you know, you also got like, you know, uh, you've got like little like sticky mines you can put on things. And uh, so you can like plant a bunch of those and then set them off and then like kind of finish off the building with your sledgehammer or whatever. Um, one of the problems the old game had, and this one the remaster still has, is um, it's very uh, hard. Like the, the developers actually uh, admit that they the difficulty is too high, and they recommend playing it on casual difficulty because it's from it's kind of from that same philosophy uh, from that era and a little before it, where like it's an open world game. If you do a thing that causes an alert to happen. We're gonna do the PS2 GTA thing and just send cops at you forever, you yeah. know. And so there's a lot of times in this where you just you just want to destroy this building in moderate peace, and four thousand EDF soldiers are just like <laughs> firing at you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Um, so that is still kind of an issue in it, but when you put on casual, it's not really a problem. Like they do so little damage that you can just sort of ignore them and smack things, and they can, you can see there like. You know, the collapses are very uh, satisfying. They're realistic. Like it lost all, the, all its supports yeah. and the building collapsed. Um, I will say that they fall too fast because Mars doesn't have as strong gravity oh, yeah. as, as uh, <laughs> Earth. I never would have even thought of that. But um, you're right. But the Mars setting is fun because, you know, Red Faction, the whole point is it's Mars. Right? Red, red. It's Mars. Yeah. It's usually, it's, it's traditionally about um, the Red Faction is usually like a, a rebel, uh, a rebel faction that is... Uh, Trying to throw off the, uh, the the yoke of oppression from the Earth uh, the Earth Empire the Earth Defense Force or whatever. Um, also worth noting, uh, I had forgotten because this is Volition, and um, may it rest in peace. Yes, and Ultor is one of the bad guy companies in this, which is the bad guy company from Saints Row. Right. Like they had, they, I forgot that they had like they a whole starting to universe. Like tie it all in, yeah. Volition interactive cinematic <laughs> universe. Um, Whatever that's worth. So, uh, so you can see, like, the destruction's a lot of fun. The problem I have with this game, and I had it back then, and I still have it now, is it has Super. a weird... It, it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, it has a weird stop-and-go quality to it as you do missions, and it sort of, like, stops, and you kind of have to go back to a thing and do it again and start a new thing and drive over here. 
Um, I feel like like the, the, the flow of the gameplay is very stop and go, and too often my instinct after it stops is to also stop. Yeah. Because I just don't feel like, it just feels like kind of a chore to get back out there and do stuff. And uh, the other problem I run into is, um, yes, it takes place on Mars, and Mars is kind of the, the hook for kind of the sci-fi element of it. Mars, Mars is, is really boring. boring. <laughs> like, it's just brown and red, the whole, and it's just like you're just yeah, driving these, Mars. and they're all kind of like industrial sort of vehicles mostly, and so you're just driving these hard-to-control trucky-looking things, yeah. like, across, like, barren wastelands, and, and people keep radioing you for help to go do, like, these, like, random missions, which always, you know, come here and help us kill four people, and... We'll give you like 25 scrap, which you could have gotten by running over a fence in your car for yeah, five seconds. Yeah. And it's just like, there's not a lot of- Why are there so many entertainment products set in Mars? Mars is the most boring, dull place, literally, in the galaxy. There's not, well, we don't know that yet. <laughs> I'll put you on EO, and you'll think that's pretty boring too. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the the other thing is like, there's not tons of stuff on Mars because one of the, especially in uh, film, because it's one of the one of the superstitions of film is if you set your movie on Mars, it's gonna bomb. Oh really? Um, movies with Mars, Bradley to Mars, don't do well. Total the Martian did pretty well, right? Martian did okay. Total Recall was a hit, but uh, Mars Needs Moms was one of Disney's biggest bombs of all time. Um, uh, Mars Attacks. Uh, mission, mission, Mars Attacks was not a tremendous success. Uh, mission to Mars did not do yeah, well. Did bad. Uh, Ghosts of Mars was a bomb. Uh, John Maybe Carter. People are smarter than we give them credit for. John Carter was a huge <laughs> bomb, and it didn't even have Mars in the title. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mars is the kiss of death uh, in film. Uh, I can't think of a lot of other Mars uh, settings in games, though. Doom is on Mars, isn't it? Yeah, Doom starts on Mars, depending on the continuity. Yeah, but then, like, Notice it with the upcoming Doom how fast they got it yeah, off yeah, Mars. They're like, hey, we're here because we have to be, but not for long. So I think the main thing about Red Faction is like this game is it's fun early on and like you see the physics destruction and it's cool to like whack around, on, whack things with your hammer and blow stuff up with your, with your uh, remote mines. And sometimes the firefights are okay, but mostly they're sort of annoying. Uh, and that... Like it, the appeal of the game lasts exactly as long as you think it's cool to watch that building fall over. Yeah, and for me that lasts <laughs> about three hours. That lasts through about liberating two of the five territories. Right, yeah. it's how far I got on the first time, you know, the original release, and it's how far I got on this release. Yeah, and if you, I mean, I have it um, for free through Steam because if you already owned the original, yeah, that's that's you, pretty cool. They that gave you the remastered that, yeah. one for free. Yep. Um. So you know, sk no skin off mine. Yeah. But um, how much is it selling for though i think it's 30 okay 30 or 40 i would, not, I would probably not pay 30 bucks for it yeah 30 is a little steep um but i guarantee you'll be able to pick it up cheap later this year um and it's all the other thing is like it doesn't look that much better than the original game yeah like they, they up the assets it's, you know it's clearly the hdr is a little bit maybe i don't know I, but like i saw like videos on sifted of like you know, comparing the original to the remastered in high performance and high uh, high resolution modes, and I honestly had a lot of trouble <laughs> like, like figuring out which, one, which was, one was because it's shit. all red and brown. It is, it's like yeah. it's not like it's not a red, brown, and gray. It's not a visually amazing game. I mean, but if you wanna, if you think knocking stuff over and watching it crumble like that is like really cool, like this is the game for you. Just do not expect it to have an engaging story or a an interesting world or, or interesting objective yeah or, it's just the, the all 100 percent hundred percent of the appeal is knocking stuff over yeah so destruction you know if you go in forewarned on that 
you're fine. But uh, just know that that's, that's the only thing to recommend this game is how cool all the destruction and collapsing stuff is. Everything else is, like, real by the numbers. To the point that I'm kind of shocked they remastered this. Yeah. But, like, THQ Nordic just seems to be like, we're going to dig into the back catalog until our current projects are done. Um, yeah. Until, like, Darksiders 3 comes out, which is November? Where the hell did that come from? Yeah. I did not think Darksiders Me 3 either. was coming out this year. I think that's probably a mistake. <laughs> but <laughs> hey. it's not even making it before Black Friday. Yeah, I know. It's going to come right out before uh, Smash Brothers. Big mistake. going to get yeah. buried. Yeah, really bad. Um, yeah, it was, it, this was kind of a nice surprise that then kind of like, sort of like wore out its welcome after about four hours. That's yeah, a good thing you got it for free then. Yeah. But yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I would not recommend people pay 30 bucks for this. No, not In fact, I'd probably just say if you have a 360 or a PS3 lying around, Go and buy it for a dollar on eBay and play it on that instead. Yeah, you could do worse than, than to do that. Yeah, because as you said, the upgrades are not significant. Yeah, it didn't. I mean, it's nice to have it running at 60 frames a second, but like, okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not like amazing. That it, you know, it, It's not like, oh my God, I am my eyes are open to the glory of this game. Fun. <laughs> it's like, no, it's pretty much the same game I played before. Yeah. If, if you were a giant fan of it, yeah, you probably already have it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. All yeah. right. Let's move on. We're going to talk next about... So earlier we talked about AR, which is something we never talk about on Game Face. And now we're going to talk about something else that we hardly ever talk about on Game Face, and that is eSports. And the only reason we're talking about it, other than the fact this is the driest period for games like ever, is that this is this week the biggest deal ever for eSports was signed for mm-hmm. broadcasting. <laughs> so Blizzard has signed a huge deal with essentially Disney. Yeah, It's ABC and ESPN are going to show Overwatch League matches live on air. Um, people may say, what's the big deal? Because they'll say, oh, ESPN yeah, well, like, has I'm, broadcast esports before. Right. Well, also, I think the, I believe the semifinals are, are right now, and they're on yeah. Disney XD. The timing's a little, so yeah. They're, uh, you know, Disney is getting in on this. And uh, so people may say, well, what's the big deal? ESPN has had esports before. And the truth be told, ESPN ran Blizzard Esports. It had that Heroes of the Dorm. Remember right. that for Heroes of the Storm, where it had college teams mm. playing each other? But that was all pay to play. That was Blizzard paying ESPN to put it on air, a lot like what you'd see with like the Madden Bowl on NFL Network. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the dirty secret here, folks, is that most of these TV networks up until now, they were taking no risk showing esports. I think maybe. TBS or TNT is it TNT that's showing like some esports now? I think so. Well, also, I think they were the first network that actually said, "Hey, you know what? We're actually going to pay to like put the stuff on." I don't know if they came before. ESPN two has been running Evo for two years. Yeah, the finals. I think that's that may, legit. That may, that's yeah. That's a real. We're going to cover. This Evo is thing. not going to pay. No, Evo can't afford <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. So I mean, Capcom may be helping incentivize, but yeah. uh, that seems. And also, like the second time they did it is purely because the first time did pretty well. Yeah. What's the date for Evo this year? Late, late, late this month. Late this month? I think so, yeah. Usually late July. I might be in Vegas for my usual trip when Evo happens. I could be. I'm there from like July 27th to the like 30th or something. That sounds about right. Wow. You may be getting live streams from Shane on his cell phone from Evo. That would be pretty sweet. Oh, no. August 3rd to August 5th. Oh, I'm just going to miss Later it. Later than usual this year. That sucks. Anyway. Um, so anyway, most of the time when you see esports on TV, it's because 
the publisher of that game is paying that TV network to air it on its mm. air. It's not because ESPN was saying, hey, we think Heroes of the Dorm's gonna be a ratings <laughs> bonanza. It's because, hey, Blizzard's gonna give us like a million dollars to air this. But this deal that Blizzard has signed with ESPN and Disney and, uh, and all those, that now huge umbrella of networks and distribution is legit. It's just as if the NFL is getting paid by NBC to air its game. So this is a landmark blockbuster deal. Now my question is, does it matter? Does this even matter? Because we've talked about esports on TV before and how it's not the platform that people go to watch it. The ratings are, have not been good. They've actually been abysmal for esports on television. And I wouldn't expect the ratings for this to be much better, but do you think it'll be any better? And do you think linear television is ever going to be a place for esports to thrive? I think that's the real issue is like your, your target audience who will care about this for the most part don't have cable. Right. Like, so how are they going to watch ESPN? Right. So, I don't know. I, I feel I mean, like... at this point, a lot of the people that are left on cable are old. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm right on the... I'm, I'm holding on to DirecTV with my fingernails. Hmm. And I am literally... I've been in the process of doing everything I need to do to ditch it. So I got, like, networking stuff to put in our bedroom. And I'm getting rid of an old TV and moving the one that used to be in our studio into the bedroom. And I'm getting ready to cut the cord. So I'm right there. But, like, my mom would never consider cutting the cord, like ever. Like that's not even, like I told her, and she's like, what, you've loved DirecTV like your whole life. And I'm like, times change. And I'm getting ripped off having DirecTV right now. So I'm gonna change, but does it, should they even be going for linear television though? Because my mom's not gonna watch eSports. No. Um, I don't know. I mean, if you're gonna air it on like straight up ABC, that's different because that's, you know, anyone can get that. And also, in a but, lot of cases, it's actually broadcast through the air. Right. People with antennas yeah, can watch a, it. That's a broadcast right? network. You, yeah. can, you can watch it with an antenna. You can watch it online. There's no, you know, there's no restrictions for that. ESPN's yeah. different. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's weird to me to, like, I don't know, like, if, if they're going to replace, try to replace the Twitch streams or the streaming thing, like, that, you know, because at least, like, with, with Evo, you know, you have the stream and you have the ESPN2 coverage, it's completely separate coverage, like the, the announcers aren't the same, right. like it's completely different, I mean you're getting the same feed, but it's clearly two different directors, like mm -hmm. directing different tone, what's coming out. Different everything, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean if you got that, that's cool, but like, like the audience that wants to watch Overwatch is going to watch it where they've watched it the whole rest of the season, they're not probably not going to switch to like ESPN for the sake of whatever, also ESPN has commercials, right. they're like, you know, the, you know I know, like, you know, the streams have commercials as well and breaks, but I feel like people would rather watch, like, kind of, the, you know, Overwatch has, like, sort of the rotating, like, stat screens yeah, while that's yeah. happening. And I feel like the, uh, the, the, the viewers probably prefer that to, like, being, you know, being sold Old Spice again. <laughs> um, Do you think if, what if ABC, Disney, ESPN said to Blizzard, look, we'll do this deal with you, but none of this can be streamed now? We are the exclusive broadcast partner mm -hmm. for Overwatch Esports. None of this stuff goes on to Twitch from now on. None of this stuff goes on Mixer. How do you think that would go down? That would be a horrible decision. Like, you'd be alienating a tremendous amount of your The audience. ratings would go up, obviously. They'd go up, but I, you wouldn't, you know, tons you of people... You wouldn't get the 
you wouldn't get a lot of the people that just simply don't have cable. Yeah. You know, they, don't, they don't want cable. They're not going to get cable just to do that. They're just going to be angry about it, you know? Do you think, I mean, look, eSports fans are hardcore. They are. Like, I've been doing a lot of uh, research on eSports lately, and the fan engagement with eSports teams is higher than all but two NBA teams. I also, but, uh, yeah, Do you but, not think that maybe if eSports started going to linear television, that some of these people who cut the cord or never had cable might consider getting cable or satellite? I mean, it's possible, but like blackmail isn't really the best marketing strategy. No, but it works sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> but I also feel like if there's one thing that we, we know about you know, people that are into gaming stuff, is they're very sensitive to feeling like they're being exploited or taken advantage of by these yeah. companies. Yeah. And to me, that's a pretty transparent example of that. Yeah. So I don't think they'd react well to that, and you probably don't want to mess with the people that got you where you are. And I don't think any publisher would agree to it either. I mean, no, it would be... Well, <laughs> like, I mean, no Blizzard, way, we're not taking down our streams. Well, Blizzard also certainly wouldn't agree to it because they want to keep that control. Right, yeah. Like, like handing over all control to ABC is not really a smart move. But... TV networks aren't going to sign those contracts unless they have some control. Somewhat, but it's also at the same time, like, who needs whom? Yeah. You know? Like, the TV networks, I feel, are the ones who are chasing the, the dragon here. Oh, they they're, absolutely they're are. They're looking yeah. for a reason to be relevant. Yeah. You know? And this is one of their last chances. Whereas Blizzard has the product that people want. So I feel like Blizzard is in the, the powerful negotiating sector here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think media, like, like, traditional media kind of spins this story the wrong way, or has been, because they... You're still in the, you know, if you're in the in that form of media, you might you're kind of still in this this realm where you think of the TV side of that equation as more legitimate. Yeah. You know, but that's simply not true anymore, especially not in this scenario. Like, and, and Overwatch isn't like doing League of Legends numbers or anything, but like it's it's a dedicated existing and pre-installed fan base that. TV would love to have the eyeballs of, even especially a the of demographic. It. Yeah, the thirteen to twenty-four. I mean, that is you pay big money for that demo. Yeah, this is to me. This is not Blizzard saying, "Please put us on real television." This is television saying, "Please let us reach these people." Or it's also television saying, "We need more live programming yeah. because live is the only thing that rates anymore on television." Right. Other than, like, your bigger sitcoms and, and stuff like that. And the but, World Championship of Darts only happens so many right, times. Right, exactly. <laughs> that is a great thing to watch on ESPN, too, by the way. If, you're, if you ever stumble across the World Championship of Darts. But that is the one thing, as ratings fall across the board for everything, mm. the one thing that isn't taking as big a hit is live sporting events. And I think right now the networks are trying to get as much of that as they can, no matter what it is. And that's why you're seeing, like the darts championship live on ESPN. <laughs> Dude, I saw a live cornhole tournament on ESPN the other that, day. Yeah. I mean, that's where that's how desperate they're getting because they realize I didn't even know that's what they called that. I, well, it depends. Like on the East Coast they call it cornhole, out here they call it like something they else. They call it beanbag toss. Yeah, and because we don't corn, cornhole things over here. It's something else, yeah. That's a totally different <laughs> thing out a here. A different sport. Yeah. On the East Coast <laughs> sport. <laughs> <laughs> on the East Coast, it is called cornhole, though, because it used to be that the bags were filled with corn kernels, yeah, and you throw them, and anyway. <laughs> Cornhole's fun, man. It's great. Cornholing. No, nothing better than a keg and some cornhole. Shane Shatterfield endorsed. <laughs> but uh, the, anyway, the networks are just trying desperately to get anything that's live, because that's the stuff that still race, because people want to watch live stuff as it happens, 
they don't want to get stuff spoiled for them on social media or whatever. So mm. you're just seeing this mad scramble. And I think now they're starting to realize, hey, there's this audience. Maybe if we exert enough leverage or pressure against the esports fans, we could get some of them to come over and then use that as a Trojan horse to try to get them turned on to our other programming, our other shows. If you It'll like never Overwatch, work, by you'll the way. love it darts. It'll never work, by the no. way. <laughs> But I think well, that's still, the, the and angle. Still, I'm sure they're looking for the you know the you know poker saved their asses for several years. Yeah. When somebody 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 and figured that's out. that's waned now. Yeah. yeah. Somebody figured out you stick a lipstick cam down there and you sh- can show the the players can show their cards to the camera. Yeah. And that's because for years that was one of the things people were like you know TV was trying to figure out how do you present cards and yeah. you present poker tournaments. Yeah. And whoever came up with that, hopefully he got millions of dollars for it. Probably not. He, probably not. <laughs> yeah. We, you got to put it on a delay, too. That was the other thing they had to figure out. Yeah. Because, obviously, if you're showing your cards live, right. you have somebody can... across the room who's going to send you signals, like, you know, it'll go all in. <laughs> so, yeah, even poker's waned. You're right, though. That was kind of a stopgap mm-hmm. for a while for almost every sports network. Yeah. Like, ESPN started it by televising the World Series of Poker, but then next thing you know, like, CBS Sports Network and Fox Sports 1, they all mm. are, like, broadcasting these little dinky poker tournaments. Yeah, well, there, was a, there was a period where I don't think casinos. 24 hours a day you could find poker oh, yeah. somewhere on television. By the way, the World Series of Poker is going on right now, and yeah. they're at the final table. Oh. But don't, don't leave this to go watch poker. This is, the, you can watch the replays. It's not even live. <laughs> it's not. It's at least five <laughs> minutes delayed. But... Uh, it's an interesting tack. It's, it's a change. It's interesting to see finally the network saying, okay, you know what? The shoe's on the other foot now. We're going to pay you to get this content. And that will also further incentivize the networks to actually market it. Because that was another problem. It's like when you sign, say, Blizzard paid ESPN to air Heroes of the Dorm. You only get X amount of promos run at whatever time the network says now the network is incentivized to make this a success mm-hmm. because it already has skin in the game so they're going to promote it more not only going to promote it more they're going to promote it at times other than 1 a.m to 5 a.m they're actually right. going to show maybe a commercial for it during sports center one of its bigger broadcasts or during live college football or whatever so to me this could be a shift i certainly would be delusional to think that there's any chance of it overtaking streaming for esports but I do think there is an opportunity to make it profitable mm-hmm. on linear television. It could. I mean, it's, I, if anyone's expecting it to be like catch fire and revolutionize, you know, the, bro- the sports broadcasting world, I feel like that is optimistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I mean, there's no reason they could. If you can show the World Darts Tournament regularly, you can show this. Absolutely. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe as the time goes on, the amounts of money get adjusted one way or the other. But I feel like seeing video game tournaments on sports networks is not going to be considered particularly unusual five years from now. Yep. All right, let's move on. As we like to say, when the content's low, we go high-low. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. We have another round of high-low where I ask Matt some questions and, he, and I give him a figure. And he tells me whether the end result, the real result, is going to be higher or lower. Mm-hmm. Did you actually skim these already? Yeah. No, that ruins it. Well, I should have left them off your rundown. Yeah, usually you do. Yeah, I was uh, I was hurried to get here I today. I thought you were cha- changing the the game up. A little I had bit. I had problems rendering B roll today. Like that the garage B roll that we showed, I had to render it like ten times before it went through. I don't know yeah. what was going on. And then we watched it for like worth 90, it. Then yeah. we watched it for like ninety seconds. <laughs> That's what I do for you people. Uh, all right. So your first question: high or low? 
And this is the big question everyone's been asking. Nintendo Switch, 20 million units in 2018, higher or lower? And just for context, right now the Switch is sitting at around 9 million and we're a little bit past halfway for the year. Is it only nine? Yeah. I it was over that, wow. For the year, not total. Oh, just, not, just, just for, for the year. year. Yeah. So, so will it hit So 20? will it sell 20 million total in 2018, right. not including last year? Right. No, lower. Lower. So well, it's halfway there. I think it'll sell, I think it'll hit 20 million total this year, but 20 oh, yeah. million just in this well, calendar year? They were already at no. 15 million when they, they've already hit 20 million total. Right. Yeah. But they're not, they're, I don't think they're going to sell 11 million more Switches this year. No? Not with Smash and Pokemon. I am fairly, Pokemon is going to help, but I'm pretty convinced that most of the people who want Smash Brothers already own a Switch. I don't think Smash Brothers moves hardware. You, but I think Pokemon will. It might. Like a lot. Mm, not 11 million. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, Smash, I think, if Smash Brothers moved hardware, the Wii U would have sold better. Yeah, you're right. And it, by the way, Nintendo just doubled down on that 20 million figure this week. Yeah, well. A lot I of mean, people were skeptical. Pac, Pac skeptical. He says no. He doesn't think they'll hit it. I don't think so. I mean... I know Pactor said they won't without a price drop. I don't see them dropping the price anytime soon. I don't either. Um, I think it might get close, like it could get like you know, like maybe sixteen, seventeen. But breaking twenty, that seems very optimistic. Their consider, current considering their, the release schedule, the they've cur- got three games. They got yeah, three games no. left this year. The current pace generally is three million every four months. Is how it's selling. Um, so. I will agree with you. I don't think it quite hits the 20 million for 2018, but I think it's going to be closer than people think. I do think Pokemon's going to move hardware because it's been a long time since we've had a console Pokemon. These people have been living on the 3DS and the DS for a really long time. And I think there may be a lot of that, those people, the younger folks with parents or whatever, and it's Christmas, it's coming out of Christmas. I think, I think it's going to move some hardware. Another 11 million, I think that's asking a bit much, but... Yeah, I think it'll move hardware. I just don't think it'll move that kind of hardware. It's Also, again, I think, you know, a, a kind of baby's first Pokemon game and a Smash Brothers remix is kind of... Your target for that is pretty much the, the true believer Nintendo fan, and they all have a Switch already. Yeah. Like, unless they start buying multiples, because that isn't what Nintendo wants. Nintendo wants everyone in the family to have their own Switch. I know. And by the so. way, Switches are cracking. Yep. Mine's really bowed now. I put it on a flat surface. I tweeted this out. I put it on a flat surface, and I you can see the light yeah. underneath my Switch. So. I haven't done that with mine in a while. I should see. It's been, but, in that, it's been in that dock for almost a year. I do not have cracks, but... That started to become a thing too. Like the back plate is starting to crack on the switch. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the, like the power, like the, the the casing around the power button yeah. will crack. Yeah. Now the thing is, I almost never press the power button, so I'm sure mine is in better shape. Yeah, yeah, it's probably fine. Because I, I turn it off and on with the. Because <laughs> you have to turn it yeah. on to use the power button. It's almost button. <laughs> never touched. Like the only time I touch it is to switch the cartridge, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so an addendum to that. So you said no on the 20 million. I think it's going to be close, but I also agree that that no. Mm-hmm. Will it outsell the PlayStation 4 in 2018? Right now the Just PlayStation for the 4, year? yeah. Right now the PlayStation 4 has a probably about a million, 2 million unit lead. Uh, I do not think it will outsell the PlayStation. You don't. No, I think PlayStation will hold the lead. Really? Under what premise? It's PlayStation. It's got more stuff, it's got more coming out. It's got Black Ops 4 in the, in the pocket like I think it's just, it's going to have probably another price drop for the base model at some point. Like, 
There's going to be tons of bundles. Like, I just think there's more there. I think to your point, though, you're talking about how all the Nintendo fans have bought one already. I mean, who doesn't have a PlayStation 4 at this I mean, point? Yeah, but I would have said that for the years and years and years where the PlayStation 2 kept topping the yeah. charts, too. I mean, I don't know what these people do with their extra place. I mean, I have two of them. Yeah. Like, like, it's, people just keep going and going with these things, and I think there's still people that are going to be willing to adopt a, a PlayStation 4 Pro, because even if you already have a PayStation 4, the Pro is still sitting there taunting you with its slightly better performance. Yeah, um, ever so slightly. If you start get, get a decent bundle going, I think, it'll, I think it'll beat the Switch. I think it's just got more going on right now. Huh. I think I'm actually going to go with the Switch on this one. I think it... I just can't think of any exclusive games for PlayStation 4 that's going to move hardware. Maybe, even though it's not exclusive, Red Dead a little bit. There may be some people will, who have been waiting Black for Ops that will. game. Um, there's, there's stuff. There's things. I heard things about Marvin's room. I just think um, there's a lot of people who don't have Switches th- yet, and there aren't that many people who don't have PS4s. I think there's more people interested in a PlayStation 4, especially considering the lineup, and I think you're drastically overestimating how many Switches Pokemon Go is going to move. Pokemon Let's Go. We'll see. Next up. And actually, we kind of segued nicely into this Also, I, I know three, four people who are buying a PlayStation 4 for Spider-Man. Wow. So... That's now, big. now my follow-up question is like, what the hell about Spider-Man yeah. is convincing <laughs> you that nothing else that's on that system hasn't already? Right. But like, Whatever. Spider-Man is mo- going to move consoles. That's good. Like, that's good to hear. It definitely will. I don't know why. It's weird to me that Spider-Man is the tipping point for people, but anecdotally, yeah. It's not that surprising, honestly. I guess, but it's like the idea people that love Spider-Man. Oh, people love Spider-Man. Sure, but like the yeah, idea that video games very well. The idea that nothing else in the PS4 has library has yeah. like really pushed you over the edge. Yeah. It's like, oh, Spider-Man. I mean, I guess so. But like, well, maybe part of it too is that they're seeing like The Last of Us is coming up and some stuff. They don't like know that. any of them. They don't even know oh, what The really? Last of Us is. Oh, okay. They're they're super casual. Wow. But Spider-Man is pulling them in. That actually makes sense. I mean, these are that people, makes total these, sense. These are people they're really that casual, they're still playing. But a they waited till now. Yeah. They're playing 360. Boy, they are in for a great next like yeah, year of their life. Buckle up! <laughs> I wish I could do that. I'm like, well, I said when when you when you do it, let me know. I'll give you a list of twelve things you yeah. need to play after Spider Man. Well, you could probably hand them a huge library of games that you're not playing. I got a lot of digital shit. Ah, right. I've really gone hard on the digital. You've become a bad friend in this generation. Yeah. You can't loan your games out anymore. It's because I want everyone to come over. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Okay, let's move on. Come to the over next for f- twenty hours and play God of War. <laughs> Watch me play yeah. God of War. I already played it. I don't need to yeah. play it again. Do you want to watch them play it at your house? Nah, I got another TV in the <laughs> other room. Next one. Black Ops 4. More or less than Black Ops 3 in the first three months. So basically, by the end of the year, will Black Ops 4 have I'm, sold mm. as much as Black Ops 3 did during that same period? I'm going to say Black Ops 4 sells less. Sells less. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a lot to consider here. Yeah. So no campaign in Black Ops 4, but mm-hmm. there's a battle royale. And there are way more consoles available now than there were for Black mm-hmm. Ops 3. But you still think Black how Ops much, 3... How much did Black Ops 3 sell in those first three months? Like, Black Ops 3 Life to Date has sold over 14 million copies. I don't know what it sold during those three months, though. Mm-hmm. I know it's a monster, but I don't know what it was in the first three months. Um... I don't know. I feel I, Black Ops Three, by the way, was kind of the last Call of Duty that sold gangbusters. That, really that sold blew, that set blew like the doors records. off everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my impression for yeah. sure. I I think uh, I think this is going to be a slower burn. 
Okay. Um, and the battle royale thing is a good point, but f- conquering it's a wild card, right? Conquering uh, Fortnite's like just mindshare powers. I mean, you're still getting mainstream mainstream news outlets putting out articles about like the only game that mattered at E3, and it was Fortnite. Yeah. And um, you know stuff like that. And uh, the fact that Fortnite is free is, you know, as opposed to paying 60 bucks for this thing with a Battle Royale mode that a lot of people are skeptical about. I don't know. People are going to buy Call of Duty no matter oh, what. Oh, sure. Of course. But, like, in, in the droves that they used to, I don't know if this is going to move that needle. Um, I, feel, I feel like it's not going to be as strong as 3 was. 3 was, ju- 3 was just the only thing people talked about for a couple weeks, you know, yeah. for a month almost after it came out, I, which was annoying to me because I didn't buy it and I didn't care. Yeah. But like, I sure heard about it because it was the, it was the zeitgeist at the time. Um, I just don't know if this can capture this, that, especially in the wake of Red Dead Redemption. That's a good point. That's a really good point. That might hurt it more than anything. But I do think that the Battle Royale mode in this is its wild card. I think... It is what could help it sell as well as Black Ops 3. Um, I'd agree with you. I don't think it's going to hit those numbers. Uh, I don't think the can- the lack of a campaign has all that much to do with it, in no, all honesty. I don't think so. I just think that the brand itself, Call of Duty, has just kind of been diluted over the last couple years. Mm-hmm. It's been spotty. Its successes and failures have been spotty. It's also an old man's game. Like us, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a, it's a 40-something Meaning like game. the 20... No, really, though. Meaning like the 25 to 30-year-olds play it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, look at, look at the pictures of the crowd at the Fortnite E3 event. Oh, I know. Children everywhere. They like, are, it's all, yeah. I mean, that's, it's that's what it is. The kids. Every the friend generation. of mine who has kids, their kids play Fortnite. Look at a few... Not like, just play it, like, are so obsessed with it, they have to, like, drag them away from it. Oh, yeah. Look at a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, Cliff Blazinski's nephews visited... And he was trying to get Ninja's attention on, on Twitter so that he would say hi to his, his nephew. Like, they yeah. didn't care about anything but Fortnite. Nope, like, all they it. wanted to do was play Fortnite and watch Fortnite and Fortnite, what? Fortnite, Fortnite. Yeah. And now imagine being Cliff. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> off of, coming off of Lawbreakers and be like, all right, it's Fortnite week in my house now. Talk about admitting total <laughs> defeat. That's it. When your nephew or your niece is like, I want to play <laughs> but I have this game over here called Lawbreakers. What's that? It's like, <laughs> really funny to think about. Uh, but I agree with you on this one. I do not think that it will sell as well as Black Ops 3. I think if the Battle Royale mode becomes a big thing, it could. Yeah, if, it ca- if the Battle Royale catches fire, it could. I, I just, I'm not willing to bet on that just yeah. yet. And maybe, I think, maybe when we see more. I don't know. Yeah, I think it'll take a lot of uh, evangelizing for the Battle Royale mode to go off. Yeah. Well, because the price no entry. one's going to pay for right. the Battle Royale mode. People are going to pay for Call of Duty Black Ops 4, and then if the Battle Royale mode is really good, then they start telling people, and the influencers mm-hmm. take over, and next thing you know, and it blows up. And it becomes a thing you got to play this. Right. And then people are like, okay, I will pay for that yeah, to play it. Because PUBG had that happen. I mean, right. PUBG was, what, 30 bucks? Yeah. And, like, they, you know... That's a, that's a steep price it for, for one for mode. one mode, yeah, yeah. One map and one mode. People thought it was worth it. Though. But if it becomes the big new thing, you'll still you'll move the copies. And you know, Black Ops 4 has to do that, and I'm just not super convinced it can in the face of Fortnite. Yeah. All right, here's the last question, and this is a really easy one, I think. Red Dead Redemption 2 will sell higher or lower 14 million units across its lifetime. Um, Just for reference, the original Red Dead has sold 14 million units to date. Um, I would think that's you know, it's going to sell more than that. Yeah, I would it's say gonna, it's going to sell way that. more than yeah. that. 
<laughs> I don't know if it's going to sell crazy good. Like it's, it's not going to sell GTA it's not five GTA, numbers, but it's going to do. But dude, GTA just five fine. sold like fifty million copies. Right. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. It's the best selling game ever. I think I wouldn't be surprised. Five years from now, Red Dead Redemption two sold twenty five million though. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it will have legs the way GTA Five did. Absolutely, a lot of that will depend on how they support it afterwards. But we already know there's online, which isn't mm. it kind of surprising we haven't heard anything about that still. Well, they're still working on the battle royale mode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the game's coming pretty soon here, and we still yeah. don't know anything about it. Rockstar knows they don't. They, the world, the world is Rockstar's oyster. They don't need. Yeah. To, they can do it at their. They own don't pace. need to do anything. You can just keep making money off GTA Online. Yeah. It's really insane. It's um. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, going to be interesting to see how that all works because uh, I, I guess like the Western theme is popular around the world, more yeah. or less. Um, and it's obviously not being exploited. It's one of the few like themes in games that's mm-hmm. not completely like oversaturated at this point. I honestly, I feel like this Red Dead's Battle Royale uh, mode has a better chance of being the breakout than Black Ops 4's. Because it's different. It's different. It's part of a game that people are going to buy anyway. Yeah. It it's it's going to be the thing people are talking about. I mean, I have Uber drivers talking to me about Red Dead Redemption yeah, yeah. too. Like people that that they find out you work in games yeah. and they're like, they're like oh, oh I really? can't wait for Red Dead Redemption too. It's like, <laughs> man, everybody knows about this. Like to the like, this is earlier than most non-hardcore people should know. Yeah. About a game that frankly is not the you know a household name. It's not GTA. It's not, yeah, yeah. And the the mind share is absolutely there that rock uh, so i think it's going to be a big big deal and i i wouldn't surprise me if battle royale in that game became the next hot the new hotness simply on the back of the fact that everybody has the game anyway yeah and now they finished it and we might as well play this thing what so, will have sold more copies by the end of the year black ops 4 or red dead redemption 2 red dead yeah yeah i don't know i think that's a pick em. that's like a draw. it's close it could be either but yeah. i think it's going to be red dead yeah Seems like people are talking about it more. Yeah. For sure. Just I mean, anecdotally. But. Part of that might just be that Black Ops 4 is also kind of playing it pretty close to the vest. Yeah. Although that's about to change. They're, they just announced today two betas. It's going to mm-hmm. be a beta for multiplayer and then a beta just for Blackout, which is the Battle Royale mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get it early on PlayStation 4. I think the first, the multiplayer one kicks off on August 2nd. And then the Battle Royale beta is in September. But they haven't given a date for that yet. Mm-hmm. So... Actually, in just a couple of weeks, you'll be able to play uh, Black Ops 4 multiplayer beta. So, and then it's like a, a week adva- in advance on PS4 and then other platforms mm-hmm. after that. So well, won't then, be long. Uh, you pretty much played the game at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you're right, though. Yeah. If you're in both betas, you've kind of consumed the whole game. Yeah. Other than zombies. Yeah. Which zombies, which, they are blowing out bigger. They're blowing time, out pretty but, hard, but it's like still kind of a known quantity. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, we agreed on that one. Easily over 14 million units in a light in its yeah, lifetime. Yeah. I would think so, unless something goes catastrophically wrong. Yeah, it would have to be. Well, the first game was pretty buggy when it first came out. Yeah, it overcame it though. It did. Yeah, ultimately to sell 14 million units. So there you go. All right, so move on to the last topic of Game Face episode 134. We're going to talk about a game you may not have even heard of. I hadn't, because that's where we're at right now. <laughs> Uh, but it's the one of the only major releases that came out this week, other than Red <laughs> Faction, and it's major. called M. Yeah, meaning it's not an indie game. Right. Uh, it's called MXGP Pro, and it is a motocross off-road racing game 
but it's a little different. So this comes from Milestone that literally puts out like four or five racing games a year. I don't know how it does it. Um, it makes like the F1 franchise and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and also makes a lot of motorcycle games, but this is like its signature motocross franchise. And this game has shown me, once again, why you need to play games for quite a bit before passing judgment on them. Because the first hour I spent with this game, I literally thought it was the worst video game I have played in the last 20 years. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating, Matt. I laughed at this game for the first hour I played it. And the reason I laughed at it is because it does all kinds of goofy stuff that you would have not seen in a game in forever. Like the physics in the game, first of all, it goes for realism. It's mm -hmm. like more realistic than any motorcycle game you've ever played. So it has like the base elements that, I don't know if you, if you played Excite Bike 64. Did you play yeah. that at all? Oh yeah. Do you remember how you had to always make sure your bike was angled mm -hmm. properly when you landed and you had to like load your shocks and then release them when you went into the air to get more air? It has that stuff, but that is like the basics. So with the right stick, you have to adjust the angle like forward and backwards, but you also have to lean into turns. And if you don't, you cannot lean into turns, but you will get your ass handed to you in this game if you don't do the leaning. And then there are no tricks in this game at all. Not a single trick. But when you catch air, you essentially need to do a tabletop and make your bike flat as you go through the air, or otherwise you'll lose a ton of speed when you go through any jumps. Mm. So it is this hardcore, rigid, aggro, dirt biking simulation. And literally for the first hour I played this game, I could hardly even make it around a turn. It was so hard. And then even when you would make it around a turn, the game does have like wonky physics. Sometimes you're just riding down like a dirt patch and you just fall over. Like literally there's like physics issues or glitches. But as I kept playing this game, just to let you know how hard this is, Matt, the career mode, the first race you enter, your goal is to finish 12th out of 22. Yeah. That's the goal of your first race. So when I first started playing it, like messing around, I'm like, oh my God, this is like freaking impossible. Then I started playing the career and I'm like, oh, they know it's impossible <laughs> and they've set expectations accordingly. Well, let me tell you, Matt, those first few races, I finished 22nd in every single one of them. Not only finished 22nd, got lapped. And the laps in this, because of it's MXGP, each lap in this is like five miles. Literally, it takes like four minutes to make each lap in this game. So it's a big commitment as well. But what I found is that I started playing this game and I started getting into the groove. I really started to like it. It started to become one of those games where you methodically work your way up through the pack. It's not like, oh, I got the whole shot. I'm in first place. I'm going to stay in first place the whole way. It is a war a literal war the entire freaking race like if any if one thing i would warn people off from with this game is you have to concentrate really hard for extended periods of time each race lasts like 10 to 15 minutes and you have to concentrate because literally one little dirt clot if you hit it wrong will toss you off the bike and then if you get tossed off the bike you get passed by like 10 or 15 bikes, like immediately. Like it's always in a pack, but that's also what makes it fun is when you like, watch this. So when you go into this first turn, your heart just goes ba bum ba bum ba bum because you're surrounded by like 21 other motorcycles. 
that are all following in the line. You're worrying about how slippery is it? How muddy is it? How much does it react? I've become a fan of this game, Matt, and I literally laughed my ass off at it for the first hour and a half I played it. Like, I didn't even think I was going to talk about it on Game Face. In fact, I was just going to put up like a hangout of me playing it and sucking at it and laughing at myself playing it. And then at a certain point... Oh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you at are a, dead. Yeah, I was dead, yeah. At a certain point, though, like this switch went off in my head where I started to get it and I started to understand it. And then I just started building on my skills and I got to the point now where I finish like top three or four in every race. So if you're into motocross, off-road motorcycle racing, I honestly have never played a game that's more realistic. Now the problem is they still have a lot of kinks to work out where there's just physics glitches where you just get tossed off your bike for like no reason. And the game, the races are so long and so demanding that like the first time that happens to you, you want to break the disc in half and like never touch it again but you have a disc yeah i have a disc version of this oh. game yeah it sells for 50 bucks by the way it should cost 30 dollars it's at least it's not the full 60 uh there's online multiplayer pretty basic basically um you just join a server and you just keep repeating races with the same people over and over again mm. uh, you can kind of play through circuits but it's pretty much bare bones there's a career mode where you work your way up you know, you start with a sponsor. It's a crappy sponsor. You win races. You win fans. Another game where you have to, like, build your <laughs> following or whatever. Um, and then as you go, you unlock new parts. And the parts actually make a huge difference on your bike. Um, you can feel them. Every time you install something new, you can feel the difference in it. It's just a really rigid motocross sim. And I realize the audience for that may be pretty small. I mean, a lot of be, be a lot of people out there that have been waiting or looking for a game like this. That's what this company makes. Oh, that was you bounced off that man's head. Head, yeah. Uh, that's what this company makes. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about this series, but I have some you know motorsport friends that uh, swear by their F1 games. Yeah, um, I've become a fan of the game, and a lot of people, or maybe some people, may actually go buy this and say, "I do like motocross. I do want a sim." And they'll play that first race and they'll hate me. I guarantee you they will hate me. They'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe I bought this listening to Shane. But I'm telling you, if you stick with it, if you get up and get on the bike again after you fall, you're going to get that to that point where I did, where everything just kind of, the switch flips and it starts making sense. It reminds me a lot of the first time I played Gran Turismo. And I had lived my whole life playing like these arcade racing games. And suddenly... I was forced to hit the brake when I was going around turns. Hmm. And that's how this, this game kind of hit me, was, oh, wow, I've never really played a game like this before, and I wasn't good at it. I'm like, this game sucks. And because there's nothing else to play, this is actually one case where because there's nothing else to play, I stuck with the game, and now I absolutely am enjoying it. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. I realize a lot of you guys may not be into motocross racing games, but even just watching these replays, you can see how it's different than any other motorcycle game. Mm. You've never seen this many bikes going around turns at the same time in any racing game before. Uh, it's not, it looks better in these replays than it does playing it real time, I'll say that much. They definitely gussy it up. It doesn't look this good while you're playing it. And there are some technical shortcomings. There are a couple tracks where literally the game almost stopped completely. Because uh, the frame rate bottomed out, there are I definitely saw issues. some. Um, I saw some some chopping when it would when it pans across the the grid. Yep. The beginning yeah. of the race. It, it has issues, but uh, again, there's no other motorcycle racing game like it. In fact, they've put out three of these already, 
and none of them even come close to being as good as this one. So if you're looking for something different for your motorcycle games, you're a little patient and you're not gonna just give up and hate something because it doesn't click with you right away. I think this might be a game that could resonate with you and a game that you could play for a really, really long time. One thing I'll say before we go to the trailer of the week though is the multiplayer, the online multiplayer is kind of annoying because the way it works is it will send you into a server where the game is already going on and then you have to sit there and watch the race. Mm -hmm. And the races could be five or six laps long and the laps are literally like four or five minutes a piece. So there's lots of times where I would join a server and I just have to sit there and watch the people race and finish the race for like 10 minutes before it would let me join in. Um, but other than that, uh, it's a great racing sim. Really, in my opinion, realistic. I did grow up riding uh, dirt bikes and off-road motorcycles. So I have at least a little bit of a good idea of how they're supposed to handle in the real world. I felt like this was a, the best simulation I've, I've played of motocross so far. So there you go, MXGP Pro. And the reviews for this have been all over the place hmm. because some people are like, were like me the first hour. And we're like, this game is like, I can't even play this game. It's like one of the worst games I've ever played. So some reviews are like a two out of 10. But then you'll find the people who stuck with it and got good at it and realized its charms, mm -hmm. and then it's getting like eight out of 10. So one of those polarizing games, I ended up falling on both sides. I hated it at first, and then I ultimately ended up liking it. So there you go. And now it's time for our trailer of the week. And it may not be a good week for games, but it was a good week for trailers. However, I felt an obligation to run with this trailer because you and I are not big Fortnite people. And this is a huge week for Fortnite. Mm. Season 5 launched just yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. Sure. I knew we weren't <laughs> going to talk about it, right? Exactly. It's like the biggest story in gaming yeah. right now. We don't really play Fortnite, and I figured we might as well show the launch trailer for Season 5. So, here you go. It's so funny. I know so little about Fortnite. I don't even understand the significance of that trailer. No, I don't really. Either. <laughs> I, I like... mean, I assume like things from history are falling into the, I don't, I, don't I mean, know. it looks like there are vehicles and like a golf cart and a boat, but why would you use the boat? Well, it's a Viking ship. So yeah. Like, worlds collide makes me think that they're just pulling stuff. I mean, it's a stagecoach. Yeah. I mean, it appears that you can jump through time in some way. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Figured we'd show it though for people who do care about Fortnite. It's not that I don't care about it. I just played it when it first came out and then never really went back. All right, let's get to some questions. Right now is a good time to get your questions in. Uh, thank you, Dark Force 256 for subscribing to our channel, man. Appreciate it very much. 
Um, let's see. W. Matthew, we have to answer one of his questions every time. Uh, I know the two of you aren't big Warframe fans, but why do you think a game that has such a large player base gets so little coverage? Side note, personal preference, but I like it way more than Destiny 2. Um, I don't know. I know why. Because it, Probably because it takes so much of a time commitment to play it like, thoroughly and effectively that the gaming press doesn't have time to really delve into it much. I think its first impressions have a huge impact. And for I think for most people, I'm speaking for myself, but I think a lot of other people were in the same boat as I was. I think for a lot of people, the first time they played Warframe was at the PlayStation 4 launch. Mm-hmm. Because it was a free game, and it looked like it wasn't an indie game. It looked like it maybe had a budget behind it. And I played it for like a few hours, and I lost interest in it pretty quickly. Now, here's the thing about Warframe. It is probably the gold standard for a game transforming over time into something amazing. Mm-hmm. And I just honestly have never gone back to it. And I have a feeling that a lot of journalists are that way. They're just I like, went back to it. Did it you? Was, yeah, it's really good now. Yeah. I mean, I liked it before. I played it when uh, it first came out, and I played it when the PlayStation 4 launched. Uh, the, I didn't play it as much as I wanted when the PlayStation 4 launched because it was overheating and crashing my PlayStation oh, 4. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. And I called Sony, and I said, hey, this is clearly not, it's making my PS4 overheat and restart. And they said, well, can you just not play Warframe? And I said, that is not a solution <laughs> to my not, problem. That is not the answer. And I ended up sending it back to them. They sent it back to me, and it was fixed, but I just never went back to Warframe because it was a bit of paranoia. Yeah. Um, I did go back to Warframe. Uh, it was right before they did the open world uh, update yeah. because they, there was that thing on Steam where somebody, somebody hit the wrong button or something, and the $120 uh, pack was nine bucks. Right, right. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'll buy that, sure. <laughs> so I bought that, and I'm like, as long as they I got... They didn't take it back? No, they didn't take any of it back. Wow. They, they said it was our bad. I'm like, surprised. Like, our, our, you know, we'll be more careful. We hope you play it and enjoy it yeah. instead. And so I was like, okay, I'll play some... I'll get back in this. And then, you know, they, they've revamped everything. It's like, it's completely unrecognizable compared to what I played before. And then they did the open world update. Yeah. And that changes things even more. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't have the time to really delve into this, but, like, I have a lot of respect for what they've done with that game. And it looks really cool. And it, it doesn't look like anything else. And, like, yeah, it's Destiny-ish. But, like, uh, I mean, overall, from what I've seen, I would agree that I think it does what Destiny wants to do better than Destiny. Wow. Um, except it does not feel, the gunplay moment to moment does not feel as good as Destiny. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if Bungie's firing on all cylinders in gameplay design, you're not going to match them. Yeah, yeah. Certainly not at digital extremes. Yeah. But, like, I think in terms of, like, just in terms of improvement and kind of, like, you start that game up for free and you're like, wow, this is what I get for free? Yeah. Like, Warframe is a really good first impression now. Yeah. So, I have been doing, because things are so slow in the industry right now, I've been doing on our new show, The Grind. I've been going back and playing older games and kind of seeing how they've evolved over time. The first one I did was uh, Splatoon 2. Uh, Warframe is probably a really good candidate for that, so maybe I'll choose that for an episode of The Grind coming up. Uh, let's see. SJD Swanlin. Matt, I recently bought and watched A Touch of Zen. Because I enjoyed it, I was wondering if besides Akira Kurosawa's movies, do you have some recommendations for movies like this that I should try watching? Um, I have not seen A Touch of Zen, so I don't know what he's asking for. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, Simple answer there. Clarify that, and I can give you some better answers, maybe. Killzone310, I haven't seen you for a while, brother. Hope you're doing well. Uh, what's your favorite multiplayer memory? Hmm... I mean, you're probably going back to the early 90s. I have so many, but I do have one that I'll 
share? Um, I've, there's a couple that uh, I won't repeat for propriety's sake. Yeah. Um, uh, I was probably, I mean, my favorite multiplayer memories overall are probably the, the months where NBA Jam ruled the arcade comic shop I worked at and the whole staff and the regular customers continually competed. Like, they were scheduled games and everything and everybody had their own, like, win quote and stuff when they'd win and the owner would turn around and, and he'd win with the the Chicago Bulls, and he'd turn around and be like, by the gods of thunder. And like, it was, like it was, it was, the evenings in that era, era were like the best multiplayer time I ever had, probably. I know people, I mean, the, I know the question was probably thinking of like online stuff, but yeah. like all my best multiplayer memories are in-person arcade stuff. Yep. I mean, I could talk about arcade days. I could tar- talk about the N64 days. The N64 era in general, to me, was just the pinnacle of multiplayer gaming because it was like Matt said, it, it was the best of both worlds. It was the arcade uh, vibe of people being next to you, but it was also sort of advanced technology, so it wasn't the crude technology of a lot of the old arcade games. But the one, the one thing I will talk about is, as you guys all know, I'm a huge fan of Star Siege Tribes. Back when I was working at GameSpot, back in 2000, I think it was, um, I had just started working there, and Greg Kasavin was the editor-in-chief, and he ran our team. And uh, I always talked to him about Tribes. He was a big PC gamer. And I always tried to get him to play it. And I was like, oh, man, it's so much better. And I'm like, you should try to play it. And he's like, oh, I haven't really got into it. Well, we got an invite for Tribes 2, for a preview event for Tribes 2. And uh, I convinced him to go. Usually at GameSpot, like maybe one or two of us would go, just the people who needed to cover it. But he said he would, he would go and check it out because I had talked up Tribes so much. Tribes 2, by the way, was terrible compared to Tribes. But anyway, that's beside the point. So we go to the event. And they have all these kiosks set up, and uh, we're all playing, and I'm playing, and I'm pretty good at tribes because I have been playing the original tribes already, and a lot of people had never like played tribes at all. So Greg is like looking over my shoulder because he's trying to figure out like what's this big deal? Why does Shane love this game so much? And uh, there was one part like eventually the people who are running the event figured out that I was one of the better players, and so they start they put my game up on like the big screen at the event, and. I'll never forget this. The, the thing about Tribes 2 is that the maps were just gigantic. Like, that's what ruined it, really. It's like the maps were like 20 times the size of the original Tribes. But I'll never forget this. I was going towards the enemy's base, and then the enemy base was there. The enemies were coming towards me skiing. And skiing in Tribes is where you just tap the space bar, and you can just ski down hills. And then you, when you go on the up of the hill, you use your jetpack, and you just go like this all the way to the other base. And the enemy was coming at us, and there was a guy skiing down a mountain, literally probably two miles away. I'm not even exaggerating, two virtual miles. I see him hit the top of the mountain. He is a speck, like a pixel. I see him hit the top of the mountain, and I fire my, my disc spin fuser, and dude, I hit him from two miles away. And literally, he was a speck on the screen. I'll never forget, Greg grabbed me by the shoulders, and he yanked me out of the seat, and like the whole place just cheered. And I was just like, holy, cr-. I couldn't even believe I landed it. I was like, oh, I'll fire one, boom. And it just literally, it's, it was insane that I shot that guy. It's just a disc, no splash damage. Like I literally hit him with like a Frisbee from like two miles away. <laughs> Greg freaked out. He's like, oh, I get it now. And then the whole place went crazy. And yeah, so that's my, my favorite multiplayer moment. Maybe I shouldn't have picked something where I looked good, but <laughs> I did. Um, Danny Endurance, if you had to close down, there's a tough one. 
had to close down either Rockstar or Naughty Dog after their next game, which would you give the boot? That's a good one. Rockstar. Mmm. Oh. I would close down Naughty Dog. I would. I guess uh, it would depend on, like, I feel like Naughty Dog is doing more uh, interesting and forward-thinking things with its narrative and its character work. Agreed, a thousand percent. Whereas uh, Rockstar, I feel like GTA 6 is just going to be more gay jokes. It could be. And uh, I don't think we need any more of that. I think... If I had to pick one to continue to exist, I think Naughty Dog is more valuable for the medium. Huh, it's tough. I, I still would pick Rockstar. Well, taking in output... Maybe that give the nod to Naughty Dog because that's also a good point. That's a big issue. Is it Rockstar puts out a game every like seven years? Mm-hmm. It's like I start thinking about it. I'm like, when I'm dead, will I get to play Grand Theft Auto Eight? Like before I die? Mm. Maybe not. Like even if I live to like a normal lifespan, I may not play that game before I die. So maybe that does give the nod to Naughty Dog. The one thing I will say is a lot of Naughty Dog's. You think games, you only got two more GTAs in you? Maybe. Like, seriously. I mean, yeah. it could be. Or maybe I'm just so old that I can't play games very well at that point. But the one thing I would say about Naughty Dog is, you're right. They are pushing narrative more probably than any other developer in the industry. But a lot of their games, when you actually play them, tend to feel a little long in the tooth. True. Um, and but, so do Rockstar. I would so. say the same thing about Rockstar. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Maybe I've talked myself into... Letting it's a, real, it's a really good choice of two companies. It's a great question. That is one of the best questions we've ever been asked at the end of Game Face. That's really, really tough. Because there's seriously pros and cons about mm-hmm. both. But I think, honestly, the output at the end of the day gives, will make me let Naughty Dog mm-hmm. survive. It could be, my answer could change if, if Rockstar matures as a storyteller. But I don't think that's forward. their thing. I think their thing is being that schoolboy like naughty somewhat but if so make bully 2 or maybe they do it with red dead 2 we'll see yeah i I just think i mean even leaving that kind of uh content and approach aside um i felt the same thing about gta 5 i like gta 5 a lot but i felt this this the main story story and the storytelling was fairly unremarkable certainly not up to the par of naughty dog no not even in the same league i would argue not even up to par of rockstar yeah no you're right like rockstar needs a new tone I think I think the kind of we're above it all and everything's ridiculous uh, tone that they try to strike with the GTA games just doesn't really work anymore, especially as they make these characters more more realistic people. Like, none of that tone worked for me in Michael's story. Like, I didn't understand who I was supposed to sympathize with or dislike no, or I like. Or like I, I mean, because I kind of like Michael, but also like... And the people around him, like the, the wife and the, and the yoga instructor, were jerks to him. But then, like, he was a jerk to them. And, like, they seemed to really try to get him involved. But then he seemed like he tried to participate. And then they were jerks to him about that. And I'm just like, I just don't like anybody. No, like, that, that whole family sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like anyone in that family. <laughs> Which may be the point. But yeah, like, maybe it was, yeah. But it was like, I, you, you, maybe you need a better point for me to play something for 20 hours. I don't know. Yeah. That was a great question. Thank you very much, Danny Endurance. Um, let's see. Any game releasing this fall you think is being underrated from Major Tom? Looks like 691. Underrated. Or maybe flying under the radar? Mm-hmm. Darksiders 3. 
We don't know. I, I, I haven't I, touched that game. I don't I know mean, if it's I'm, good or not. I think it's going to fly under the sales radar. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the, what's coming out. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of big games left. I mean, I have no interest in it, but you, I, I feel like maybe Super Mario Party might surprise you in the sales numbers. Yeah. Um, as people are desperate for something to do with their Switch. Um, also, like, the Switch sort of lends itself to the party game idea in a way that the last few systems haven't. Absolutely. You know, yeah, like, some of the stuff they've shown for that game actually looks pretty cool. Like, if you show, like, this, I mean, if like, the solution to the Mario Party issue it might be like, oh, well, you won't come over and play Mario, but I'm going to bring the system to the party right, and play right. Mario Party with people. Yeah. So that could be an, an element. Um, but I feel, like, I feel like Super Mario Party could be a, a surprise in the sales. So, and it's like, no one's talking about it. Like, people tend to dismiss Mario Party out of hand. I certainly do. Because I hate that series, but I think that I think that game might surprise people in terms of in terms of uh, sales popularity with non-hardcore demographic. Okay, last question we're going to take tonight from J Reed Vic Seven. Uh, with Doom, Wolfenstein, Switch ports in mind, is it a minor ding on games as art? Uh, looking and running far outside the creator's original intention on Switch and potentially robbing first timers and newcomers of the context of the authentic vision and feel. So he's saying when you're porting mm -hmm. a game to a lesser system, and a lot of people are playing that version first, are they getting gypped, robbed? Sort of. I mean, I would never play a multi-platform thing like that on the Switch, because why would I? Some like, people just not have, don't have a choice. Right, whatever. but it's like, if I have a choice, that's my last choice because I want the, the version that's going to look better and sound better and play at 60 frames a second if it can. And yeah. like, you know, like, I mean, Wolfenstein is fine on the Switch, but like they added geometry to make up for the fact that they can't render stuff out as far as they could on the yeah. other platforms. It's just like, if, if, if that's your only option, sure. But um, I think for the most part, people who have that have the option are not going to experience these things first on the Switch if they have a choice. You're right. And also, kind of the context of your question was art. And if they, if to the, me, the art of games, and this is ironic, but to me, very little of it actually has to do with graphics. Yeah. If the, if the Which is funny because the actual artists who work on games usually only right. work on the graphics. Well, I also think if the creators aren't happy with it, they wouldn't release it. Yeah. Like if, if Bethesda, if you know Bethesda or um, what's the name of the people that develop uh, Wolfenstein now? Oh, what's that? What's that developer? I can't. I can never remember their damn Machine name. Machine Games. Machine Games. Yeah. yeah. If Machine Games really thought that the Switch version of Wolfenstein Two was not an acceptable version of their vision or whatever, I don't think they'd release it. Or they would just to make some quick money. Yeah, but like for the most part, but the like, sales of Bethesda's games, I could actually see Bethesda at this point maybe well, making some sacrifices. I don't think the Switch versions are helping at all in that yeah. in that regard. Um, yeah, I just I do. I think the ID guys think that playing Doom on the Switch is an inferior way to experience it. I mean, technologically sure maybe, but yeah, like, but, but like, did, did you not really uh, play Doom? Yeah, you like would you not be? Yeah, able they to don't have feel like that. I don't think they feel like they sacrifice no, their like, art for. I would still it on the be Switch. able to have a conversation about Doom as an artistic as an artistic work with someone who only played the Switch version. Like Absolutely. you're not going yeah. to get less out of it in that regard. So I, I think yep. aesthetically, sure, the graphics are not as as good, or maybe it doesn't run as well. But in terms of the overall experience of I played this game and I can talk to you about this game and and talk about what's important about having played this game, I don't feel there's really a big difference there. Yep, agreed. So that's it for Game Face episode 134. 
Thank you to our patrons who make this all possible. Thank you to all the folks who subscribe to us through Twitch Prime during the stream, and those of you who will do it afterwards. It's making a huge difference for us. If you're listening to this on uh, YouTube or if you're listening to this on iTunes, it's very easy to give us a free $2.50 a month. Uh, you can go on the site and figure out how, or you can just Google Twitch Prime. It's very simple. Then you just subscribe to our channel. So thanks to everybody for all their support. We really appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great week and weekend. Game Face is up and out.